The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 240 for Thursday, August 21st, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. For those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, MTR is rated M for mature due to strong language. (laughs) Figured I'd throw that in there. All right, so I am super pumped this week. Um, As always, My Take Radio is brought to you by Rageworks. And for those of you that missed last week's episode, uh, Rageworks is the official parent company for MTR going forward. Uh, What does this mean? Well, it means a couple of things. Uh, First up, we are going to be changing a lot of stuff. I mean, everything on MyTakeRadio.com is going to be changing. Uh, We're going to be publishing an article tomorrow that's going to have a full FAQ breaking down everything that's going to be happening going forward. Now, My Take Radio is not going away. For those of you that have messaged me privately asking me via Facebook or Twitter, uh, MTR is not going away. On the contrary, MyTakeRadio.com will become the central hub for all My Take Radio content, meaning uh, My Take Radio episodes, MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, The Buried Show, and any other shows that fall under the uh, MTR brand. That's all going to be under there. As always, though, you'll also be able to listen to shows and watch shows on our new site, which is RageWorks.net. Both sites will be working in tandem, but any content, game reviews, movie reviews, anything we're talking about on a consistent basis will reside on RageWorks.net going forward. You can visit the site now. It is live. It's been live since Monday. Um, I was originally kind of scaling back uh, because I, we were still working on a logo and stuff, but I figured, fuck it, jump in head first. You guys know, uh, you guys know the deal, and you know that we're always working on evolving and making the product better. Um, there will be a brand new RageWorks logo probably Monday, and um, you know that that's going to add a bunch of new stuff. You're going to see. Uh, new T-shirts, you're going to see stuff on our Facebook fan page, which for some reason, uh, Facebook says that Rageworks is taken for our Rageworks Facebook fan page. 
I don't know why because there's no site matching that URL. So we're going to be working on that this weekend, trying to get a, uh, an official URL for our RageWorks page going forward. But in celebration of the brand new site, we're going to be changing a couple of things and we're going to be doing uh, something different for the contest that we're going to do to celebrate the launch of RageWorks. As many of you know behind me, which uh, you could probably see back there, is a set of Monster Octagon headphones. Originally, we were going to review it and um, just do some random giveaway. But in celebration of the brand new site and all the cool stuff we got going on, we are going to give it out to a new fan or maybe somebody that is going to be on the RageWorks fan page. So we're going to be doing that, probably launching the contest this weekend and it will be valid up until probably next Friday. So we're going to be doing that. Um, it will be open to everyone, staff included. Everybody's going to get a chance to win a pair of UFC Octagon headphones just because we're going to be doing some stuff a little different. It's going to be open to everybody because it's all about growing the fan page and growing that presence. So once we got all the official rules laid out, you will be seeing a post on the RageWorks Facebook fan page, as well as on our social media outlets, which, for those of you that are following My Take Radio on Twitter, as of Saturday, as of midnight Saturday, most likely, uh, the official My Take Radio Twitter will become RageWorks. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what happens to the regular My Take Radio Twitter? Well, I have a personal Twitter account that I really just don't fucking use as much as I felt I should, so that account will actually become the official uh, My Take Radio Twitter account going forward. That way, both accounts will be active, one for the show, one for the site, and that's pretty much it. Again, that's going to be happening probably Saturday at midnight going forward. Now, earlier today, we aired the season finale of The Buried Show. Our friends, Quark and Blade, our colleagues, um, of course, going back to school, taking care of their of their business and their personal lives. So we've decided that the buried show will be in seasons. Uh, as of right now, season one just finished us. Uh, episode five is available for download on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn radio, and any of the usual pod catching outlets. So you'll be able to catch uh, the final episode of season one. Well, the finale of season one of buried and uh, be on the lookout. Season two of buried will probably be going on somewhere late fall early winter once we get a full schedule you'll be seeing season two of buried these guys are not one and done and they've definitely improved leaps and bounds episode after episode after episode so definitely props to those guys for that um, on rageworks.net you will see jay's recap of the house of glory show where they crowned a brand new champion uh, congratulations to ricochet their first house of glory world heavyweight champion uh, we got a ton of movie re reviews up there. We got some I owe you guys an Expendables 3 review, which I actually wrote for MyTakeRadio.com, but I'm going to be moving over to uh, RageWorks.net this weekend as well. So that pretty much is going to round out most of the announcements. With regards to YouTube and all the other stuff, uh, MyTakeRadioTV will stay active on YouTube, mostly just for the shows going forward. Uh, there's going to be an official RageWorks YouTube channel that you'll be able to subscribe to, and there'll also be a RageWorks Google Plus page, you know, all the usual stuff that you guys can follow us with there. I mean, 
the um, the forum thing, like I said, I contemplated bringing the forums back because I'm really tired of Facebook and their bullshit. But I want to kind of get the site fully tweaked and, and and working and running smoothly before I even embark on on touching anything remotely resembling a forum. So for those of you that asked, uh, Steve and a couple of other guys, there, it, it, we're still on the fence about it, and it may happen, but we're not 100% sure as of yet. Um, Tons of new content coming this weekend. I was hoping to see Sin City, but a couple of things have uh, derailed those plans. But we'll most likely, I'll be checking it out next week, and I'll be reviewing that as well. Uh, one thing I do want to say to you guys, if you guys are surfing around RageWorks.net, you see anything out of place or uh, any funky bugs, please let me know. Um, we're still working a lot of kinks out, and your feedback is very important. I definitely want to thank Slick for going and... Um, doing some beta testing and even some alpha testing um, along with a couple of other select individuals to help me work out some bugs. Uh, shout out to Josh Wood from uh, MMA Valor, a great friend who gave me some awesome logo ideas and logo designs, and you'll be seeing that also hopefully this weekend, as well as Danny from Royal Flush for all her help as well. Uh, broadcast schedule starting mid-September, I believe we're going to go with the... Uh, with the with the My Take Radio show of uh, September 18th, we're probably going to start switching to the two show a week format, which I've discussed before. Uh, Wednesday nights uh, from you know 11 to two, or probably less than that, because the shows will be shorter. We're going to do MMA and wrestling, and on Thursdays we're going to do gaming and entertainment. One short segment, one long segment. So we're going to start doing that. Uh, that week of September, again, probably September 17th will be the uh, MMA and wrestling, and September 18th will be gaming and entertainment. As always, be on the lookout for updates re- with regards to that on our Facebook fan page as well as on RageWorks.net. Uh, one other thing I did want to say, if you guys want to see anything on the site in particular, uh, you know, we put an event calendar and a couple of other things, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm always uh, willing to listen to any feedback and any ideas that you guys want to make your experience enjoyable. All right, so what are we talking about tonight? Well, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event. Then we got a double header uh, for UFC Macau. Then we got UFC Fight Night on Saturday. We're going to talk SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, uh, the gaming news. We got some MPD numbers. We got a ton of entertainment news. And of course, we will take your calls 347 324. 3541 again 3473243541 is the number. Uh before I get into it I want to uh actually have a monologue for this week and it's funny because while I've been working on Rageworks it's been an interesting process because I've been trying to really study up on social media analytics um you know we're going to be launching an email newsletter so please uh when you see the sign-up sheet, throw your names in there. We're going to use that to release announcements, uh, special stuff for email subscribers, and a bunch of other stuff that's going to be uh, launching probably next week as well. But in any event, while I've been researching a lot of this stuff, I've been doing a lot of uh, Facebook insight testing. Uh, Facebook, of course, has a, a stat tracking system, Facebook Insights, which allows you to see engagement and likes and all these other really, really crazy analytics. Now... The funny thing about that is that these analytics um, paint a very interesting picture with regards to how long people are uh, on the fan page, all kinds of stuff. And the thing that gets me 
is that this week, of course, um, the big hot-button topic, especially on Facebook, has been the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Now, I want to talk about this because I've, I've realized that social media has made us some crumudgeony motherfuckers. Sorry to say it. And for those of you that are offended, I don't give a shit. <laughs> the fact is, uh, social media has made people extremely, extremely crumudgeony about everything and anything. I understand, listen, I, I pride myself on probably being one of the most irritable and irritated human beings on the planet. That's just, that's just the hand I was dealt. But I've realized that people get upset about things that really are, they don't affect them in the least. And even if they do, it's not on a level where it's being a detriment to their well-being or their lifestyle or whatever. Now, the reason I say this is because I know a lot of people on my friends list have have taken the ice bucket challenge and have donated money. And I think that it is a beautiful thing, a great thing, and it has raised an amazing amount of money for ALS. I believe yesterday or today, the, the yesterday, I believe the tally was $9 million in a day. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I see a lot of people, a lot of curmudgeon fucks. Oh, this is stupid, blah, blah, blah. Why is everybody doing this shit? Why not just donate? couple of things. Uh, first thing, first thing I'm going to say is that if you want to donate, donate. And if you want to take the ice bucket challenge just for the sake of taking it, even if you donate, do so. The only thing I will say is don't take the challenge and not donate because then you're just some other schmuck pouring water on themselves on the Internet. I, I, I understand the logistics and what people say, but honestly, just just donate. That's it. You want your 15 seconds of fame pouring ice on your head? Fuck it. Do that, too. But don't don't just do it and not donate just for the sake of drawing attention to yourself. It's dumb. As for those of you that are on uh, social media complaining about it. Listen, you ever, if you were ever a young child and you walked up to a hole and you yelled down it nine times out of 10, the only thing you'd hear back is the sound of your own voice. That's it. No response, no answers. Nobody gave a shit. Now, the reason I say this is because the same rules apply on social media. Do you think that by writing some passive aggressive status complaining about something that's for charity that doesn't affect you that you don't have to do is is the is you know it, it, it's killing you? It's really not. I'm sorry, but it's not. I think that everybody that's out there doing it and donating are are awesome people. They're great because people don't look at the big picture. Yes, you're pouring water on your fucking head and you look like a complete tool bag, but you're also raising awareness for a disease that not too many people are walking around talking about. I'm sorry to say it. Nobody, nobody's really sitting there having deep, complex thoughts about Lou Gehrig's disease. It's not fucking happening. And if you're doing that, you know, if you're doing that, you're a fucking idiot. I mean, I mean, if you're, if you're having deep thoughts about, about ALS, no, you're not an idiot. But I'm just saying, like... If you're if you're sitting there having these deep thoughts complaining about what everybody else is doing, you're a fucking moron. And Mortis gets the 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 first line of the night in the immortal words of Dean Ambrose, it's for charity. And it's true. The way I see it is I am a firm believer in not telling anyone how to run their social media. I don't give a shit. 
You want to fucking streak naked every day and put pictures on Instagram? Knock yourself out. All I got to do is hide them. Same thing with Facebook. Same thing with Twitter. The block button is a powerful tool. The hide notifications is a powerful tool. Everyone has control of the content they consume. Because we've really become like super anal retentive about the shit. It's like, who cares? So what? You pour some ice on your head and you're raising awareness. You know, think about it. Everybody talks about breast cancer, Movember, uh, HIV. You, you see what I'm saying? AIDS awareness. You see all this stuff, autism awareness. Nobody, nobody was talking about ALS like that last year. I'm serious. Nobody was out there really talking about it. So if this is what it takes to raise awareness for, for something to go viral for a good cause that may prolong the life of somebody who's sick or suffering from this terrible disease, then fuck it. Pour ice on your head every fucking day if it makes you feel better. I wish it was it were that easy for, for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I really do. You know? And I say this just because obviously we've done brawling for boobies and um you know the results have been interesting to say the least. But still, if that's all it takes to get people motivated, hey, pour some water on your head, then fuck it. Do what you gotta do. You know? Mortis, I'm waiting for someone to challenge Stephen Hawking because he needs to be aware of ALS. <laughs> But this is what I'm saying, like, listen, you want to go, you want to challenge your coworker. There's two reasons. Number one, you want to see your coworker pour fucking water on his head. Number two, subconsciously, you're still doing a good deed, especially if you donate. If you're donating, you're, you're doing your due diligence. And if you still want to take the challenge, hey, more power to you. I've seen some real stodgy, uptight motherfuckers that I know in my personal life that are pouring buckets of water on their head and are donating not $10, not $20, but like a hundred plus because they believe in it. And you know, it's affected them in some way. And the fact that they're becoming a part of something so big means a lot to them. So before you go and you log onto your Facebook and you write your passive aggressive status update, complaining about what the entire world is doing. That's not you. Think about it for a second. Think about what that person is doing and what you're doing. You are yelling basically down a hole that no one's going to answer back. And the other person, yeah, they got their five seconds of fame. But if they donated, they may help and prolong. They may help prolong someone's life. Simple as that. And for those of you that are out there uh, having uneducated arguments about the Ferguson situation, get the facts, people. I've seen some really stupid arguments on social media. I've seen some some terrible things that have that have made people just um question their friends and question the people that they associate with and it's it's a very hot button topic. I'm not going to get into that for a couple of reasons. There are so many different lists of information. Some right, some wrong and everything in between. I'm a firm believer that if I don't know enough about the shit, I'm not going to come out here and share my opinion and come off looking like a fucking dummy just does not work I, sh- I shared my thoughts about the ALS thing just because I've we've done stuff for charity and you know with mixed results but again I more so wanted to focus on what social media has done to some people and on the flip side the great things it's done for others simple as that all right so with that out of the way uh, I figured I'd, I'd get a, a nice serious monologue in besides all the announcements 
Let's get into this week's MMA news because there is definitely a shitload of stuff to discuss. So let's not waste any time and get that ball rolling, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all the latest and greatest fight tees, training gear, gloves, wraps, you name it, they got it. Roots of Fight t-shirts, they got them. Your favorite t-shirt that one of your fighters wore on fight night, they got that too. Tap out stuff, that's right. Now, if you want some douchey t-shirts, buy them at your own risk, but they got some of those too. Anyway. Let's talk about UFC Fight Night, which kind of went under the radar, but had some pretty, pretty solid fights. Um, I want to talk about Laura Murphy's fight with Sarah McMahon. Of course, Sarah McMahon, we all know, became pretty much um, a member of Jifter Peace Theater with her highlight reel loss to Ronda Rousey. But she was back doing what she does best, and that is putting a beating two chicks and um she did pretty good in her fight against lauren murphy murphy looked really good in that first round though uh definitely not a slouch um but mcmahon definitely started working using her takedowns using what she's known for um it was a pretty solid fight again just a shitload of takedowns the only thing is that a lot of the times that those takedowns did occur it did not seem like she was doing a lot with them I, you know, I, I mean, she was outstruck in, in that first round and she just used the takedowns and it was almost like sprawl and brawl, but just a lot more sprawl and a lot and a lot less brawl. Seriously, I mean, the judges are going to look at those takedowns favorably because that's the right thing to do. But I did feel that the fight itself left a lot to be desired, especially for a, for a young lady as talented as Sarah McMahon. I mean, she was 7-1 and one coming in. Laura Murphy was undefeated as well, making her UFC debut. And she was the Invicta Bantamweight champion, so it's not like she was a slouch either. But either way, a pretty decent outing for the ladies. I just felt that the fight could have been better. Um... Zach Makovsky and Juicier Formiga, I thought, were also going to step it up, but we did get a unanimous decision for Juicier Formiga, uh, 29-28 across the boards. Uh, Zach Funtize Makovsky looked, I don't know, it seemed like maybe he might have been nursing an injury. He just didn't seem as, you know, rock'em sock'em as usual, which definitely jumped out. Uh, the fight was, again, it was okay. Now... Uh, on the heavyweight side of things, on the main card, Jack May, Sean Jordan, uh, great fight. Sean Jordan with a ridiculous KO. Um, he definitely got some short elbows in, some lefts, and you know from the from top position, and it was that was a wrap. There was no, there was. Uh, I don't even want to say that it was uh, a slaughter because it wasn't. But Sean Jordan definitely looked very, very impressive in that fight. Um, Alan Juban took on Seth Bazinski and Bazinski came out, uh, swinging, but so did Juban to the point where he dropped Bazinski with a left pretty much to the throat, at which point they had to stop the fight. It was, it was crazy. Uh, four minutes, 23 seconds in the first round for a TKO for Alan Juban. Uh, Tim Bosch took on Brad Tavares in another solid, solid outing. Uh, Tim Bosch, not a lot of guys give him credit, but he's a solid, solid hand in the middleweight division, and he too delivered a solid, solid performance. Um, him and Tavares got into a stalemate towards the end of round two, and at one point they were in the stalemate. They got separated, and when they separated, Bosch caught him. Boom, and that was that. Um, dropped him with a left hook. 
and then a right, and that was it. Just pretty much academic at that point. Uh, three minutes, 18 seconds, TKO victory for Tim Bosch in the second round. Now, let's talk Ross Pearson, Gray Maynard, which was pretty much considered the co-main for the evening. Now, a lot of people were concerned with the outcome of this fight because everybody feels that Gray Maynard has pretty much become uh, a glass-jawed fighter. I'm not one to make that decision, but he definitely did not look good in that fight. Um... I mean, the, the first the first round was okay, um, but everybody was pretty much waiting for the other shoe to drop, and it definitely was the case. Um, round two, these guys, they came out uh, chasing, but not figuring out their distance. Uh, Gray Maynard did shoot in for the takedown, and he takes Pearson up against the cage. Uh, Maynard was pressing the action, but um, what happened was Pearson, they clinch, and when they came out of the clinch, he stunned them with a right. At which point, um, he followed up with another right, which dropped him. And then, of course, ground and pound, academic, uh, that was it. And it was funny because a lot of people were like, oh, Gray Maynard should have retired after that fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Gray Maynard is a, is a former title contender. I can't sit here and say that the guy is done, but I will say that it definitely was not a performance that would win him any applause from management. I mean, Dana White himself has kind of uh, alluded to the fact that maybe he may need to retire, but again, I'm not going to make that assumption for the guy, but I think if he goes through another fight, has that sort of a performance, gets knocked out viciously, I think it might be time to hang him up. That's all I got to say. So the light heavyweight fight, OSP, Ryan Bader, of course, OSP, Ovin St. Preux coming over from Strike Force. Uh, very impressive resume, a very talented fighter that I always feel just never hits his stride. He's kind of had a lot of a, a lot of ho-hum performances coupled with some solid ones as well. Uh, Ryan Bader looked pretty good in that fight. Again, just working a lot of takedowns, putting in a lot of wrestling work. Um, I know Jedi Hill is from Cleveland Sports Radio is probably loving uh, Bader's performance. It was good, uh, but again, just the, uh, the same thing that happened with Sarah McMahon is what I felt happened with Ryan Bader. Just a lot of a lot of stuff in, a lot of going in, working the wrestling, but not working the wrestling in a way that was really doing a lot of damage. It was a lot of safe wrestling, uh, really trying to score points with the judges, in my opinion, and not some real aggressive wrestling offense. Overall, the card was pretty good. Again, um, for a, a free card, it's like I said, we've been getting UFC cards practically every weekend, and Saturday, I think, is going to be the day where we're good, we're just going to be UFC'd out at this point. Um, like I said, we got UFC Macau, uh, which is going to be on the Fight Pass, and then we got the UFC Fight Night card later on. So it's it's going to be a long day of fights. But in any event, we will definitely be talking about those fights next week. So let's get into the MMA news for this week, and there are quite a few. Uh, first off, fight bonuses. 50K got laid out. Uh, Tim Bosch got a performance bonus. Diago Tavares got a performance bonus. And Alan Juban, Seth Bozinski took the fight of the night performance bonus. Overall, um, again, solid night of fights. The right people got bonuses. Like I can't even say that it was better than the than the card from the week before or et cetera because they've been they they've been coming so fast these cards that I can't even sit here and grade them accurately because it's tough to measure a decent card versus another decent card. If it was a question where you're coming off a UFC 100 legendary card and then you have a decent fight night card, then yeah, there's some comparison. But we've been just getting consistently decent cards uh, the last couple of weeks. So 
as we all know, John Jones is injured. This puts his fight with Daniel Cormier into the new year. And Alexander Gustafson has been very vocal about wanting his title opportunity back. Uh, Dana White pretty much sounded off and said what should not come as a shocker, which was, dude, you got injured. You gave up your opportunity. Cormier took the fight. He's still healthy. Jones got injured. You're going to have to fucking wait. If you want to take another fight, then that's fine. And he said it. He goes, Gustafson will probably fight again. We'll probably do another fight for him, and he'll probably fight again to stay active and stay on top. Now, my, honestly, with all the, the, the talking and all the hype going on, I'd like to see Anthony Rumble Johnson face off with Alexander Gustafson. That way, both guys, we know that they're on the cusp of a title opportunity, but they're also both gaining a lot of press. I figured that would be the great fight that would qualify um, the, either one of those guys to challenge for Cormier or Jones's title after the outcome in January. Again, that's a fight I'd like to see, but... There, there's some pretty decent talent at light heavyweight, so who knows what direction we're going to go in, but I'd love to see either Rumble and Gustafson or Gustafson and Bader. I'll take either one of those fights just because either one of them are going to be pretty solid. So War Machine is officially no longer a fugitive. He got caught. Um, he was on the run, of course, for assaulting Christy Mack. And he ended up being caught in a hotel outside of Los Angeles, of course, reported by, TM by TMZ. Uh, he was caught by U.S. Marshals and Simi Valley Police. Um, he did not put up a fight when he was found. I am shocked. And I'm sure that this will probably be the last we'll see of War Machine for a long time. Not shocked in the least. Um... On the other side of things, I did want to talk about this because this particular uh, news story really bummed me out. This guy um, has a great look. He was a great contestant on The Ultimate Fighter. He was a good fighter to watch, always exciting. But um, this particular fighter had to announce his retirement. And that fighter is UFC light heavyweight Christoph Szczynski, who many of you may know um, from his season of The Ultimate Fighter, his crazy-looking tattoos. He looks a little bit like Shrek. Um, I was really bummed he was on Inside MMA, and he actually announced his retirement on the show, and it was because he has been suffering from memory loss. Real crazy shit. I mean, you know, Christoph Szczynski is a guy that he went out there, he had a really exciting fight, but it was like what we spoke about with Diego Sanchez, Ben and I, when he was on, about these guys, if they don't alter their fighting style and not get hit, it's bound to catch up with them, especially when you are... Ah, thank you. Thank you for that, Mortis. He wasn't. Here comes the boom. Uh, when you're looking at, at, at guys that are getting hit with four-ounce gloves, the amount of damage, even though the rounds are shorter, there's still, you know, the, the, the probability of some really, really big-time damage taking place. Um, he said that he suffered a knockout during training, and um, he said after he suffered that knockout, his brain pretty much said, no more. He said, with regards to his memory, it's not getting worse, but it's not getting better. Again, um, he said, he cited this example, and this was the, the heartbreaking part. He said, yesterday I spoke to my wife, and today I'll probably ask her the same questions I asked yesterday. I don't remember the answers to those questions, and it's little things like that that kind of bothered me. But the good thing is, I don't have dizzy spells, I don't have any long-term memory loss or anything like that. Just the small things and the little things, the stuff that you take for granted. And, you know, reading that, like I said, I like Kristoff. He was an exciting guy to watch, um, a very talented fighter, a great, a great guy at 205. And to see his career cut short like that is, again, really, really sad. So, this week... 
with two UFC fight cards. You know Dana White's going to be in the press with this week. And he was uh, talking about the Ultimate Fighter Season 20, which, of course, debuts in September. That is the series with the straw weights, a lot of great women, 115-pounders. And the winner of that season becomes the 115-pound strawweight champion. Now, there are, like I've said it before, a murderer's row of, of, of fighters in there. Carlos Barza, Felice Herrig, Rose Namajunas, Tessia Torres, just a laundry list of dangerous, dangerous women. And the funny thing is, Dana White said that he was really excited and really proud of this season. He said, the best decision I ever made was to bring women into the UFC. Uh, if I may remind all of you, this was the same guy that said that women would never fight in the UFC ever. Just saying. <laughs> But in any event, uh, the ladies are already home from the season of The Ultimate Fighter. Of course, we're not going to know what goes down till September. But either way, I'm excited to see it. I heard that a fight broke out the very first day. Um, There were a lot of great fights, a lot of women with killer instinct. Um, I'm really pumped. I am really pumped for this season. And they really need it, considering that every season of The Ultimate Fighter I've seen, I've either watched on DVR a day or two before the finale or I've watched on fast forward just because they did not have the same level of quality that previous seasons had. But again, we got it. We got September right around the corner and um, we'll see what the deal is next month. So Scott Coker officially released Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez heads to the UFC and he will be meeting Donald Cowboy Cerrone at UFC 178. Now, a lot of people have been talking about uh, whether this was the right thing or the wrong thing. And a very, very large majority of the people I've spoken to have said that Scott Coker did the right thing. The guy didn't want to be there. He didn't want to resign. Let him go. Now, others are saying, oh, you know, you cut the guy loose. He was one of your stars. What's the problem? Here's, Here's where I stand. The guy already had a sour taste in his mouth from dealing with Bellator the first time, courtesy of Bjorn Rebney. Now, if Bjorn Rebney would have cut him loose and he would have fought in the UFC and maybe he would have got cut or he would have lost or whatever, and he would have came back to fight for Bellator, then fine. But you can't just cut the guy loose, the guy's getting ready to sign, and then all of a sudden you say you want a match. It just looks really, it looks really suspect, it looks really shady, and like I said, it really soured Eddie Alvarez's relation with Bellator probably beyond repair at this point. So Eddie Alvarez is free. He heads to the UFC to meet Donald Cerrone at UFC 178. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this particular bit of news. And this is because for me, I kind of felt that this has been an underlying issue. And it involves one of my favorite fighters, Alistair Overeem, a.k.a. The Ream. And a lot of fighters saying that he has a knack for injuring fighters in in the training camps that he's that he's a part of. Um, originally, this happened with the Black Zillions, and a lot of people have been talking about it because he, of course, is part of Greg Jackson MMA. And when John Jones got injured, he got injured while sparring and training with Alistair Overeem. So, of course, first and easiest thing to do is blame him, even though everyone has gone on record saying that it was not his fault that the injury happened. The, the, where I stand, you got Anthony Rumble Johnson going out and saying that he'd actually fight Overeem at heavyweight just because of the stuff that that guy did in various training camps. A lot of people are saying that he really does not know how to measure his power. He doesn't know how to control himself in training. Andre Arlovsky did an interview also, and he said that, you know, it's the same thing. He, 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 um, 
They don't. He likes to. He tends to deliver real damage. Now, like I've said, I don't know if it's because he doesn't know how to measure his striking, or maybe he just wants to go out there and be a Billy Badass. I don't know, but the fact is that you're really putting yourself in a negative light in various training camps. If you if this keeps up, you're gonna get kicked out of Greg Jackson's camp. Where are you gonna go? I mean, you're an incredibly talented guy, but dude, slow it the fuck up. You can't go injuring guys, especially if you injured John Jones. Uh, People are going on record left and right. No, that's not what happened. But still, John Jones got injured. You have a reputation for injuring people. People are going to put two and two together, even if it's not the case. He is actually guilty until proven innocent in this scenario. I just hope he gets his shit together because Alistair Overeem is a talented fighter. I've been a, a huge fan of his since the K1 days, and I really would like to see him succeed in the UFC because I think he does have the tools. A lot of people are writing him off instantly because of the glass jaw, but I'm not going to do that because I really do feel that he has something to add to the heavyweight division. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. So as I said, UFC 178, Eddie Alvarez, Donald Cerrone is your co-main event. That's going down September 27th. Mark it down on your calendars. That was originally scheduled to be the fight with Cormier and Jones. Of course, due to injury, that fight has been pushed into January, but you're still getting a championship fight. It's Demetrius Johnson taking on uh, Chris Carrazio at, at the for the flyweight title. Alvarez and Cerrone are your co-main, and Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, of course, are a great fight. Yo Romero, Tim Kennedy, and Ka- Amanda Nunes, and the returning Kat Zingano. Now, the funny thing is that also on that card is Dominic Cruz and Takeya Mitsugaki, which was supposed to be the opener for the pay-per-view, but it got bumped to the prelim main event because of the Eddie Alvarez, Donald Cerrone signing. So, um... Very, very cool. It's going to be a stacked card. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, this card's not going to be as good because the Jones-Cormier fight isn't there. But you got some great fights. Brian Eversall, John Howard, um, Patrick Cote, Stephen Thompson, your Romero, like I said, Tim Kennedy, a great card, James Krause and Jorge Masvidal, and Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, which is tremendous just because those guys have legitimate hate for each other. Uh, Conor McGregor trying to make a statement for himself, trying to become a force in the division. I think it's going to be an amazing card, and it's probably going to surprise a lot of people. I think Alvarez and Donald Cerrone are going to go in there looking to steal the show and deliver an amazing card. I can't wait. Again, September 27th, mark it down on your calendars. So let's close out. I want to talk a little bit about Ronda Rousey making a lot of waves this week, of course, from being in the Expendables and the Expendables box office numbers, which were not good. But in any event, um, Dana White and Ronda Rousey did an interview with MMA Junkie. And the funny thing is that when asked about Ronda Rousey's willingness to fight anyone, Dana White said that's what's so unique about Ronda. Ronda gets excited about the new women that we've signed. So the reason I'm talking about this interview is because they asked Ronda Rousey about Gina Carano. And a lot of people have been very vocal about Gina Carano kind of skipping the line and fighting Ronda Rousey. But Ronda Rousey made a very, very interesting argument. And I want to share this with you. She said, and I quote, You ever heard the saying, work until your idols become your rivals? I have indeed. Um, It would really be a dream come true to fight Gina and not in a malicious sense. It's the highest respect that I could show her to come and fight her and give her every single thing that I have. And it's true. It's very interesting that that's the, you know, that's the, um, the quote that she used because that's all she's looking at it. I mean, obviously, it's going to be an amazing payday. It's going to be a huge payday for both ladies. But it's it's such a, a crazy fight because you have basically the original face 
of women's MMA on one hand and the new face of women's MMA on the other. And that's the kind of thing that really gets people talking. Obviously, like I've said before, Ronda Rousey has three money fights. And the three money fights that I've talked about are the three money fights she was asked about. Her and Gina, her and Holly Holm, which she said um, gives the women's division real legitimacy and she can't wait uh, to square off against her. And of course, Cyborg, which she said, if she makes the weight in Invicta, then we're definitely going to try and explore the possibility of a fight. Uh, when asked about if she's ducking Cyborg or if she, you know, she's looking forward to fighting Cyborg, she said, I'd love that, but I don't make fights. I just show up and win them, which, of course, has made a lot of waves on social media. Of course, everybody talking about how how arrogant and how cocky she is. But as I've said before, MMA is no longer just a sport about two people going into a cage and punching each other in the face. MMA is also about presentation, uh, sportsmanship, uh, characters being be going out there making yourself known and that's what she's doing i mean when ronda rousey was at SummerSlam this past weekend the fact that it was acknowledged on camera and they went out of their way to show her not only being involved in SummerSlam but helping stephanie mcmahon with the ice bucket challenge meeting rick flair all the great photos taken by lazy the savage again just a, a lot of crazy stuff for again a woman who is in a sport that is considered the comp the competitor for the WWE this is that's pretty fucking big that's mainstream as hell that you have the 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 women's champion of the UFC which is considered your competitor being not only publicly acknowledged on pay-per-view but participating in various aspects of the entire broadcast same thing with uh john jones john jones was there he took the ice bucket challenge with the big show and and mark henry again big stuff when would you see that stuff on a regular basis this is a changing of the guard the understanding that mma and pro wrestling they can exist in harmony and in some respects they each work and help each other as I've said, I've talked about uh, the situation where John Jones allegedly reached out to Paul Heyman just to work on on building excitement for fights or guys like Chael or CM Punk and and his MMA involvement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's it's crazy. I mean, you know, Brock Lesnar is a great example. Um, his performance against John Cena on Sunday was there was a huge MMA influence in that fight. And it was definitely uh, one of those things where, like I said, I think both both uh, pastimes, I'm not going to say sports because some people feel that pro wrestling isn't a sport. Um, both pastimes can coexist together and really help each other. That's all I'm saying. But overall, it was a, a pretty solid week of MMA. We got two cards coming up this weekend. And um, of course, we got, I think, one more card, the 23rd. And then Labor Day weekend, I'm not sure if we have one Labor Day weekend, but I think we have one the first week of September. Of course, make sure to check out our events calendar on RageWorks.net, and you can see all the cards that are coming up. Slick says, uh, Michael Cole needs to be punched in his fucking face for saying that Shane Carwin was never heard from after his after Lesnar beat him. You know what's funny about that? And, and I understand where Slick, your frustration comes from. Um, Michael Cole is trying to use MMA logic to validate Brock Lesnar. And yes, you can say, depending on how you look at it, that after the fight against Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin did not have the same appeal he had going into that fight. Again, I didn't say that nobody heard from him. 
you know, but he just didn't have the same appeal. And I like what Mortis said. Brock Lesnar didn't beat Shane Carwin. Shane Carwin beat Shane Carwin. And that, my friend, is exactly why he kind of fell down the card. It was the fact that, dude, you see a guy that had an open position and you genuinely just stick your head in there to get choked out. You gave him that submission. I mean, I understand that Brock Lesnar's a giant refrigerator, but you gave him that position. You did. Simple as that. You gave him that position. And to even validate what Slick just said, Slick said Brock Lesnar also beat Brock Lesnar. Yes, he did. Because if Brock Lesnar would have embraced being punched in the face, if he would have embraced the grind, Brock Lesnar, probably his career would have still been shortened by diverticulitis, but I also feel that Brock Lesnar would have been infinitely more dangerous. Mortis adds, not to mention Carwin gassed in the first when he was on top of Lesnar. If he would have kept going, he would have won. It's true. And these are the factors that we got to talk about. Cardio and just poor positioning that allowed a guy with a, a rudimentary submission skill set to secure a victory. It is what it is. But Michael Cole really should, should gauge his words a little carefully because, dude, you are not Joe Rogan. You can't just say, oh, nobody ever heard from Shane Carwin again after fighting Brock Lesnar. What the fuck do you know? Don't say that. If you said, oh, you know, Heath Herring was knocked into obscurity after fighting Brock Lesnar, sure, I can accept that. But you can also say that Brock Lesnar's ticket got punched by Cain Velasquez and Alistair Overeem. That can be said as well. But again, these are things we'll get into in our wrestling segment, which might as well get that ball rolling and start it right now, shall we? The preceding announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. I felt like being nostalgic and going with a little NWO and giving Booker T a break this week. As always, my Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. You can also see the promo code on RageWorks.net and on MyTakeRadio.com as well. All right, so... Let's get into the big one, the elephant in the room. Let's talk SummerSlam because SummerSlam was very, very, very good. It really was. A lot of people were saying, oh, you know, SummerSlam, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like I tell people afterwards, I said, listen, SummerSlam delivered in more ways than you can expect. And if you're going to sit here and complain about it, for $9.99, then you're 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 just a jaded, jaded wrestling fan. So let's talk about the kickoff show, of course. Rob Van Dam, Antonio Cesaro got the ball rolling. A very, very solid match with RVD taking the victory with a five-star frog splash. Again, Antonio Cesaro, everybody talks about him just being knocked down the card. And yes, I do feel he has been knocked down the card, but The beauty of a guy like Cesaro is that even when he's not at the top of the mountain, he's still making dudes look good on his way up the mountain. Guys like Van Damme who, you know, it's always hit and miss these matches with Van Damme, but Antonio Cesaro always brings great matches out of guys like Rob Van Damme. You know, the guys that are are always 50-50 depending on what day of the week you catch them. So... Uh, Mortis says, I wasn't all that hyped for SummerSlam, but it ended up being pretty awesome. Exactly. 
that was exactly where I was. I wasn't sure it was going to be as good as it was, but it was surprisingly decent. Surprisingly decent. He said second only to WrestleMania, which is a valid, valid way to look at it. Slick says, I feel Extreme Rules was better than SummerSlam, and in some ways, Money in the Bank also. But Slick went on to say that he did enjoy SummerSlam as well. You know, I felt that WrestleMania was good. Um, A lot of surprises, obviously. I also felt that Extreme Rules was surprisingly solid, but I always gauge the big four in a different light than the the smaller pay-per-view. So, uh, with Mortis's logic, I agree. WrestleMania was good. SummerSlam was was comparable, but definitely not better than WrestleMania. Now, of course, we got Night of Champions coming up. Then, you know, we got Survivor Series in November, which is going to be probably super. It's going to probably set the stage for WrestleMania going forward. And of course, we once that's done, we get the holiday December pay-per-view and of course the Rumble in January. Again, setting the stage, I do feel that Survivor Series is probably going to be the pay-per-view to watch. Again, that's just my personal assessment based on the stuff that's been happening thus far. So, Mortis shared that he's going to Survivor Series. Very cool. Um, it's in St. Louis, and I'm making a trip there. Very nice, Mortis. Have a good time. Uh, definitely keep us posted when you go. So, let's talk about the pay-per-view opener. The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, uh, really solid match. The Miz continues to surprise me every fucking time and the reason i say this is because the miz as just a wrestler when you first look at him you don't expect to get five star matches out of him i'm not saying i'm not saying you're getting one star matches but you're not getting uh, like really great storytelling from the miz because the miz still hasn't mastered that the miz has mastered a heel persona but he's never really grasped uh good in-ring storytelling Dolph Ziggler, on the other hand, has really embraced in-ring storytelling, and it's become the backbone of his character, a great worker, an amazing seller when it comes to to matches and finishes. Uh, Dolph Ziggler and The Miz actually gelled together quite nicely. And looking at them, you see that there is an opportunity for a huge rivalry to develop between the both of them. These are two individuals that if you utilize them correctly, you can really get some amazing matches and and th- and we're talking amazing matches over a period of time. These are the guys that are the, your your Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. You know, your 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 mid-card guys that are so solid that whenever you put them together, it's magic in the ring. Slick says in the ring, the Miz is a lot better than he is given credit for. Dolph is just that much better. Exactly. See, Slick Slick is on the fucking ball tonight. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Gets me fucking hype. But um, seriously, you got the Miz. It's true. You look at him. You don't expect much. You don't expect greatness. You, you just expect, eh, he's all right. But he, he worked really well. But again, and I've talked about this before. Oh, fuck you. He just used the uh, the Mojo Rawley. I don't get hype. I stay hype. I really hope he gets hype in a dumpster. But um, that's a separate issue. I digress. Seriously, The Miz, is he's not a great wrestler. He's a good wrestler that when put together with somebody else, he has the potential to be great. Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an example. Let's say... All right, here you go. The Miz, I consider The Miz 
white rice, when you buy Chinese food and you get shrimp and lobster sauce, you see shrimp and lobster sauce is very, very gross looking, you know, kind of looks like somebody squirted in, in, in your container, but it's, it's surprisingly good. But when you look at it, you say to yourself, I'm not going to have a bowl of shrimp and lobster sauce by itself. I need the rice. The rice brings it together. That's what the Miz is. The Miz is the white rice of professional wrestling. He can bring shit together with the right ingredients. That's what he is. The Miz is the white rice of pro wrestling. That's what he is. You put the Miz in a match with, I don't know, Batista. Meh, it's all right. You put him in there in a match with Dolph Ziggler, then then we're on to something. You put him in there in a match with, I don't know, Wade Barrett, Cesaro, yeah, we're going to get something good. You put him in a match with fucking, uh, what's his face, uh, Adam Rose, you're getting shit. That's, that's just how it is. The Miz is the white rice of professional wrestling. These are the facts. You put them together with the right ingredients, you get good stuff. Now, of course, um, <laughs> Slick, once again, you put anyone in a match with Adam Rose and you get shit. Adam Rose is shit. Oh, poor Adam Rose. I don't hate him that much. I mean, the gimmick is fucking terrible. But again, that's that's a that's a story for another day. And I think I'm going to leave that to the buried boys and they can take care of that. But seriously, the match surprisingly good uh, right after that, which was, again, a solid match. The crowd was super into it. AJ and Paige put on a really, really good match as well. Now, obviously, people are going to complain because AJ lost a belt, but these are how rivalries are made. This is this is how it. Th- people don't realize this is how The Rock and Stone Cold, The Rock and Triple H, these rivalries, these exchanges back and forth with the title are what create stars. You know, that's that's just how it goes. It really, you know, AJ's dive to the outside, very surprising. Overall, the match itself was was good, and they told a great story. And again, you are building a rivalry that you can that you can drag out forever. You can drag it out forever. This could become uh, Trish Stratus, Mickey James level rivalry. You could get, you know. Excuse me, Beth Phoenix, Eve Torres level, you know, just real legitimate rivalries. This is this is Trish and Lita level. Not obviously with better wrestling, but if you build it right, you're going to get that same level of of heat. Slick said it. Paige makes a good lunatic the way she kissed AJ while she was out cold exactly, and that's what I mean. It's like you have AJ trying to out crazy the crazy chick. It's a very very unique story, a very fascinating story which again, don't rush it. Let them let them exchange back and forth a couple of times and build yourself a really, really good rivalry. Make it that when these two women wrestle, you don't get up to go to the bathroom and get some food. You stay glued to your chair because, you know, greatness is at hand in that respect. I think, um, you know, they're doing they're doing the right job. They really are. But of course, for every good thing, there is bad things as well. And I want to talk about this flag match. Uh, the Buried Boys in the season finale of The Buried Show uh, definitely voiced a lot of the same issues I had with this match. First of all, the moves were completely contrived. 
No, in other words, it's like, do you win and they raise the flag? What happens? It just felt fucking confusing as all hell. In addition to that, I did feel that Rusev got exposed by Jack Swagger. How the fuck is that? That's like that's like Bill O'Reilly being exposed by Kermit the Frog. I'm serious. Here you have a guy that you're building up as this monster, this monster heel, and he just he just looked he just looked out of out of touch out there. It's like one minute he's selling the ankle lock, the next minute he's no selling the ankle lock. It's like, dude, figure it the fuck out. Figure it out. Learn how to tell a story. And that right there is what really brought that match down. The storytelling was so disjointed. The only good thing, and I liked because it allowed Jack Swagger to stay strong, is the fact that Jack Swagger didn't pat that didn't he didn't tap out. He passed out. Of course, this is shades of you know Stone Cold bleeding um, and not tapping out and passing out in his own blood. You know this kind of stuff was was really something that helped keep swagger hot you know what i mean and and obviously this is leading to an inevitable feud with bo dallas which i'm sure the crowd is gonna go mild for because fuck both those guys in a feud but um seriously i think there's more of a story with swagger and rusev but rusev needs to learn how to tell a good story you know, they have Lana sending tweets to Paul Heyman about Rusev crushing Brock Lesnar. It's like, you can't fucking do a a, a a three-star match with Jack Swagger and you want to put him in there with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar will put you in the fucking hospital because you'll fuck some shit up and he'll drop you on your head. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like, I understand, you know, it's a good way to foreshadow and tease, but don't do that because people are going to want to see it and of course, WWE, they're going to hot shot book it. And Brock Lesnar is going to kill Rusev. And any momentum Rusev can ever hope to achieve will be non-existent. I think you need that that USA-Russia rivalry. You need that because it's very easy to book. Obviously, the flag match, you can say, hey, I, I didn't tap out to you. You know, I, I went unconscious, but I almost had you. And you can drag that feud on. You can always say that Jack Swagger almost had Rusev. And you can use that. And every time they have a match, it ends through some nefarious means, whether it's Lana interfering or Rusev getting counted out or whatever. But you can keep that rivalry hot and you can probably make it really, really good for the remainder of the summer. But they're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to get Bo fucking Dallas and Jack Swagger. And it's going to suck. Why? Because the Bo Dallas gimmick, much like the Adam Rose gimmick, is losing its luster. Sorry to tell it. I'm sorry to tell it to you guys, but it really is. I don't care how much you try to make it seem like these, like both of these guys are still in the game. They're fucking not. Slick says losing question mark. Shit is long gone. You know what the funny thing is? And and while I understand where you're coming from, Slick, I felt that there was some potential for the gimmick if you started doing, like, more self-help, like Bo Dallas, like, you give him, like, a talk segment, like Miz TV, where he's coming out, and he wants to help a superstar with his problems, and then he ends up getting his ass kicked every time he tries to help, you know, like, like could you call out Stephanie McMahon and Brie Bella, and they're trying to, to resolve their differences, and then you go, but Stephanie, didn't Brie say that you were, I don't know, a B-I-T-C-H, 
And then you can just light that fire and you can create chaos with that because that's what I see Bo Dallas as. I see him as a as a brother love kind of a of a chaos bringer, not a Bray Wyatt. I see him just as a guy that stirs shit up and he does so by under the guise of doing something good. And I think that doing that would really actually give him a bit of a shot in the arm. Again, that's how I see it. At least if you're going to do that, at least invest a little bit more energy into him. Stop just putting, sending him out there as wrestling Dr. Phil and expecting people to gravitate behind it. I mean, most people do, but that's just because people need something to latch onto because they believe in the character. No, 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 no. Not Bad News Barrett. See, Bad News Barrett just comes out and delivers bad news. I want Bo Dallas to, to try and do things like he's helping, but he's not. He's accident- He's just making shit worse. You get what I'm saying? Like, he's that guy. Like, like two superstars, they're feuding, and he brings them out, and he wants to talk, you know, whatever you want to call the segment, fucking couch time with Bo, or, or whatever the case is. And he'll just be like, sit down, guys. Now, what's the problem? And then, of course, you know, one superstar, blah, 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 he fucking sucks. And then the other superstar, yeah, well, you know, I think he's a piece of shit. And then just Bo Dallas chimes in and says, really? You think he sucks? But this was the same guy that said that he was dating your girlfriend. What? And then you just you just create it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just create chaos. I just feel that that there's something more that Bo Dallas needs to bring his character full circle. I'm not a fan of it. But at least if we're going to get it on TV for the foreseeable future, at least spruce it up a little bit. That's all I'm saying. All right, so one of the show stealers of the night, the Lumberjack match, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Holy shit. Every aspect of that match was amazing. Amazing. Great storytelling. Awesome spots. The Lumberjacks fighting with with Ambrose and Rollins. Ambrose and Rollins fighting with each other. The Lumberjacks not being able to contain the amount of of, of violence between the two of them. This is a match that the these guys these guys are 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 the rivalry of the future. These are two guys that can feud without a title, with a title, in the mid card, in the main event, because the chemistry is that good. You look at Dean Ambrose. People don't people don't see a superstar. They see the guy that's sitting at the end of the bar. It's the end of the night. The bartender wants to close up and some and the bartender wants the guy to leave and he just picks a fight with the bartender. He's that guy. He's he's the he's the he's the wild card. He's the guy that can shake your hand or slap your face. You know, very Roddy Piper, very Brian Pillman, even shades of the legendary Randy Savage are in Dean Ambrose. You look at him and you see that. Dean Ambrose is that guy. Modern day Jake the Snake, modern day Brian Pillman. He's got the tools. Don't think that just because he's not the most jacked guy on the roster that he doesn't have something to offer. You can't spell amazing without Ambrose, period. Ambrose is the best thing to come out of the shield. As much as they try to shove Roman Reigns down your throat and as much as they try to make Seth Rollins your main event guy, the guy that came out of the shield and is and is leaps and bounds ahead in terms of fan popularity is Dean Ambrose. And the beauty of it is you don't even have to turn him. 
He doesn't even have to be a face. He doesn't have to be a heel. He just has to be fucking nuts. And that's what I like. I like when he's sitting out there and he's he's like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. You know, like, I like that. There's there's that insanity, that controlled insanity that he brings to the ring that makes people want to see him wrestle. Period. It was an amazing match. Every part of it was great. And even the involvement by Kane, which obviously just, um, you know, it really set the standard for, for corporate involvement. Um, you know, Kane came in, caused shit, and left. And the match just disintegrated into, into insanity. But still, a very, very, very good match. And anybody that says that Dean Ambrose couldn't be a main eventer right now, is crazy he is crazy because you don't you don't even got to turn him you don't even have to give him a label he doesn't have to be a face he doesn't have to be a heel he just has to be ambrose the way i see it is dean ambrose embodies what 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 you know michael kane said about the joker in in the dark knight which was some men just want to watch the world burn you know some guys just have no agendas no ideals, no nothing. They just want anarchy. They just want chaos. They just want everything that, that to be in shambles so that they can feel complete. And again, Ambrose is that guy. And their main event match on Monday, Slick Slick is uh, you know talking about how great it was. Boy, are we going to get into that because that match? I really thought, holy shit, how can this? How can their their beef? become better but and and it's it oh man i'll get into that but i want to talk a little bit about chris jericho and bray wyatt's match because a lot of people were complaining that bray wyatt needed to win this match and i agree i also want to commend chris jericho as always doing the right thing putting the guy over it was a tremendous tremendous match the crowd was electric everybody was into it Bray Wyatt was running on all cylinders. Jericho was out there really putting in the work. And every aspect of that match just had amazing storytelling. Amazing. And again, two guys not super jacked. They don't look like they came out of an action figure package. They were two of the most complete superstars on that roster. And I say complete in the sense that Jericho... He can tell the story in the ring. He can tell the story via promo, much like Bray Wyatt can. It was it was good. Slick feels that the ending was weird, but I I think that the the way it worked was was interesting because it was Bray Wyatt just digging deeper than Chris Jericho did. You know, the sister Abigail into the into the barricade was a nice touch because it was just sadistic. It was just, you know, it was the kind of spot that when he hit it, you were like, oh, shit, how the fuck did he not fuck his whole shit up when that happened? And that's what it was. There was a lot of energy in that finisher. I mean, it wasn't necessary, like Slick said, but it was a nice way to just get the crowd like, wow, holy shit. And it really just validated that Chris Jericho isn't just an old timer that was coming in to... to you know, put over a young talent. Simple as that. Slick says 2K15 needs to have different ways to do Sister Abigail. I agree. Sister Abigail off the steel cage. Sister Abigail off the barricade. Sister Abigail off the fucking announce table. Yes, we need that. We definitely need that. So let's talk Brie Bella, Stephanie McMahon. First of all, 
Not a great match, but not a shitty one. Couple of things. Stephanie McMahon came out, once again, acknowledged Ronda Rousey, four horsewomen, uh, very cool. Stephanie McMahon, for a chick that hasn't been in the ring for 10 years, definitely held her own out there. It was pretty decent. Again, Brie Bella cannot tell a good story. Her wrestling is decent, but her storytelling is shit. But I'll tell you what, Nikki Bella's storytelling is even worse because when she came out there and took off her hat and she just stood there like a fucking zombie, like a $2 doll that you buy in a discount store just standing there with her blank eyes and her helium-filled boobs, you knew that she was just going to get involved. It was terrible. It was fucking terrible. She's sitting there blank-eyed. And you could see, like, the sneer on her face, like she was trying to hide it. And you knew it was coming. As soon as she walked out, I said, here it goes. Here comes the turn. It, it, whatever. It, it, it is, you know, it is what it is. But to, to go with what Slick said, Nikki Bella wasn't even needed. She wasn't even needed. Triple H could have assisted. Stephanie McMahon could have used brass knuckles. Whatever. The Nikki Bella heel turn, you could have saved it for Monday. When Brie could have came out, got in Stephanie McMahon's face, Nikki Bella comes down, oh, the two of you are going to beat me up, and then Nikki Bella just turns around and, and, and beats up Brie, and that would have been it. You know? That's it. Stephanie McMahon, for a chick that's been out of the ring for 10 years, she put a lot of divas on the current roster to shame. Eva Marie, we're looking at you. You know, Eva Marie, we're looking at you. But seriously, Stephanie McMahon was good. Brie Bella just couldn't carry her in this match. Like, if it would have been Stephanie McMahon and Mickey James or Stephanie McMahon and Beth Felix or, hell, Stephanie McMahon and Natalia, you would have had a decent story because those individuals can carry other people in matches and bring out the best of them. That's it. That's what it was. And, of course, like I said, the heel turn, you could see that. That heel turn was so obvious that even Stevie Wonder could see it. That's how fucking obvious the shit was. I was like, oh, here it is. That's that's it. Plain as day. As for Roman Reigns and Randy Orton's match, for all the negative press that was surrounding that match due to their work on the road, I got to admit the match was good and the right guy won and he won in a in a convincing enough, you know, in a convincing fashion that really brought Roman Reigns to an upper level. But again, I did feel there was some exposure in this match. You know, the uh, Orton's RKO's, the you know, the offense with regards to that was great, but and I'll say this again, Roman Reigns is becoming Mr. Five Moves of Doom. You know, leaping clothesline, uh, Samoan drop, Superman punch, the spear. And, um, you know, I th- maybe if you want to call the charges in the corner, one of the five moves of doom. But he's getting into that WWE uh, default offense that we all know and love. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, seated drop kick, um, Superman punch, Samoan drop, spear, and um, leaping clothesline. So, yep, he's got his five moves of doom already established i can pretty much read every spot when it's coming and slick is is slick is onto something i do feel roman reigns needs a better finisher besides the spear 
I kind of feel he needs like a like a really decent power bomb or a really cool looking suplex. Like he he needs something like that to really bring it together. The spear, eh? But it's like Batista has the spear, Edge had the spear, Rhino has the spear. Now you have the spear. It's like all right, we got it. It's a good move. We got it. What? Because he played football. Thanks. The only good thing out of that match was. The way Orton sold the spear was good because Orton jumped high enough that it looked like he speared him out of his boots. Ah, yes, Caitlin had the spear. Thank you, Mortis. And you know what I mean? Like, I just feel that Reigns is lacking in that department. He needs a, a, a better finisher, number one. Number two, the match went on for almost 20 minutes, and you can see by, like, the 15, the 10, 12-minute mark um, that the match was really just... It was breaking down because... Roman Reigns just hasn't learned how to how to temper his offense in longer matches. You give Roman Reigns a five minute match, you're gonna get gold, you know. But you give Roman Reigns a fifteen minute match, you're gonna get shit. Not shit, but you're not gonna get a good match as good of a match versus Roman Reigns doing a five to seven minute match. Jay says, sorry I'm late to the party, but my passive-aggressive self was doing the ice bucket challenge. Well, all right, Jay. Good shit. Nice work. Um, welcome to the party. As I said, you know, Roman Reigns, um, he, he has the tools. Definitely a main eventer through and through. I have no doubts about that. But I do feel that his long-term matchability needs to improve. Again. 10 minutes, okay. Longer than 10 minutes, breaks down into punches and kicks. That's it. And trying to hit the finisher as quick as you can. I, obviously, that's match pacing, but um, I don't, I just, again, it was a good match. It was. Do not misunderstand, especially how bad as people were, were, were clowning that match online. I was, I was, again, surprised that it was as enjoyable as it was. Simple as that. So, Let's get to the big one, the elephant in the room, Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman. First of all, 16 German suplexes. This is this is one of the things where everybody's like, oh, we're, gonna, we're just going to German suplex him the entire night. Here's the thing. Brock Lesnar is supposed to be a conditioned athlete. He's supposed to be this A-plus legendary amateur wrestler. But underneath that... Is, a, is is the Incredible Hulk in gift wrap. And that's what it was. it was. It was brutal, it was violent, and it needed to be done. It needed to be done. Everybody's like, oh, John Cena looks like a bitch out there. Yes. Yes. You need that. You need that. John Cena's out there. And the only way that you can validate defeating The Undertaker is by defeating Superman. That's, that's, how, that's how I see it. The only way you can defeat Superman is by becoming Doomsday. And I, and I, I want to share with you guys, uh, Paul Heyman shared a picture on his site, which I shared on our Rageworks fan page. And it's summed up that entire match and I want you guys to see it because this is this is pretty much this is pretty much what it needed to be done. Let me go to it real quick. What the hell? 
All right, that was my wallpaper. Let's see if I could uh, try and fix that. But um, let's try that. Yes, no. All right, I'll figure it out. In any event, um, go to our go to our Facebook fan page and check it out. As I said, um, I really felt that the only way that this match could have been accepted was to end it the way it was. Thank you, Slick. Slick, you are the best. Um, Mortis says, but Doomsday died. And then (laughs) Slick says, Mortis, Doomsday never dies. See, the reason I want to say that and the reason that analogy works is because look at at Superman. Superman was this, uh, you know, the unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. And at the end of the day, he lost. Whether, you know, he came back or you had four other Superman or whatever you want to call it. Superman was defeated, and that was the entire goal here. It was humbling and defeating Superman. And the funny thing is that a lot of wrestlers are very protective of their legacy. They want to make sure that their their characters are safe. And John Cena, he bridged the gap. You know, John Cena bridged the gap. And the reason I say this is because John Cena was willing to put himself out there and let himself be destroyed. You know, he let himself be exactly slick with slick is right. John Cena has nothing to worry about. John Cena did what needed to be done to tell the good story. Everybody's talking about, oh, you know, Brock Lesnar, you take John Cena and all of a sudden John Cena beat him, whatever, two years ago. And then all of a sudden, Brock Lesnar kills him now. And I said, if you're an athlete at the top of your game and you lose, whether it's a professional sport, an amateur sport, hell, even if you're in the gym competing against yourself and you lose, your job is to go out there, become better and win. So why isn't it why isn't it believable that a guy like Brock Lesnar would lose to John Cena Go back to the go back to the cave, so to speak. Dig deep, come back and win. That's that's what you would expect. The guy that you fought in 2012 isn't the same guy that beat the Undertaker, and that is the story. It is the evolution. It is it is perfect Brock Lesnar at this point. You know what I'm saying? Blood, urine, and vomit. Exactly. That's that's what it was. It was. Everything about that match needed to go the way it went. Could it have been a bit more technical? Yes. Could it have had some bigger spots? Sure. But we're dealing with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is the big spot. Like, people watch Brock Lesnar wrestle or fight because it is a freak show. It is a car wreck. It is this massive, giant, shaved ape that doesn't speak or barely speaks that has an advocating Jew, and he just goes out there and beats your ass. This is what people have such a tough time comprehending. And the only way that you can make that work is by losing decisively. And John Cena, legacy be damned, he did the right thing. He made Brock Lesnar look good. He tried to mount offense. And the best part is that the following night on Monday... Paul Heyman put John Cena over, which is the best part. He put Cena over. He said, oh, shit, you know, we went out there and we whooped your ass, but you didn't fucking quit. You never gave up. 
But what I liked about that was that he brought it full circle. He said, I respect you, but my client just thinks you're a bitch. But I respect you, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what you need. You need this this alpha predator. It's like, it's like what Godzilla was in the new movie. You need this this unbeatable champion, this this monster, this this you know indestructible force. Because the person that beats Brock Lesnar, whether it's an established star or a Roman Reigns or a returning Daniel Bryan, it's going to validate them completely. And this is one thing I've said before, and I'm going to say it again. Considering what you have with Brock Lesnar's schedule, I would create a streak with Brock Lesnar and call it, I don't know, the Brock Lesnar Challenge. And he can say, you know, in honor of the Undertaker streak, we've decided, my client and I, to create a streak of our own. And your job is to beat the beast. And you can create a brand new streak with a guy like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar... Hell, he channeled The Undertaker in that match with John Cena when he just sat up and he laughed in his face, which was probably the highlight of that match for me. He's just like, he sits up and he just laughs in John Cena's face, completely laughs like, yo, fuck you. I'm going to beat your ass. And this is what I this is what I'm saying. Like Brock Lesnar is the guy that you need to have for a new streak. Imagine that. Can you beat the beast? Can you beat the one in 21 and one? And every year, someone tries to beat Brock Lesnar. And you can just build that up. Again, you got the guy for limited dates. You can set it up. And again, who's going to challenge the beast this year? Who's going to be the next victim? And that what you would do is you build enough of a streak to where you finally use one guy that breaks the streak, and that's your next guy. Again, easy booking. The booking is so simple. I should write this shit, considering how easy it is. Think about it. Brock Lesnar creates his own streak because of his defeat of The Undertaker. And every year, superstar after superstar after superstar just crumble under the might of the mighty Brock Lesnar. People would tune in to see that. You know, guys like The Rock, guys like John Cena, guys like, you know, Mark Henry, the big show, whoever you want, they try to beat the beast. That's it. Can you beat the beast? So easy, so so apparent that you you can see it right in front of your eyes. It's amazing. And again, it keeps Brock Lesnar strong. It allows another superstar the opportunity at greatness. And again, you have that limited schedule that he already works and you're maximizing it because you can have him do it at Mania and then have other matches. And Jay, Jay that's that's crazy. Undertaker comes back and beats Lesnar. That would be imagine that Lesnar has a nice little streak going. Maybe he's 5 and 0, maybe he's 10 and 0, and the Undertaker comes back and breaks the streak. It would be insane because the Undertaker would be like 80, but 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 I like I like where Jay is going. He gets it. He understands. And that's what I want you guys to see. I want you guys to to think about that, to put yourselves in a story. Yes, it's very easy to say Brock Lesnar is in it for the money or Brock Lesnar's wrestling ability isn't that great. But Brock Lesnar has something that a lot of superstars on that roster don't have. And you know what that is? Attention. 
Guys come in and come out. Guys come in and come out through that curtain every week. But when Brock Lesnar comes out, people pay attention. They either want to see him win or they want to see him lose, but they want to see him. And people don't get that. People just don't get it. You have a guy, he's fairly young. He's in it for the money. He is. And you have a guy that can really just be the architect of that entire thing in Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman can write that entire thing out and it would be amazing. Amazing. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are like, ah, oh, Rich is fucking crazy. I'm, think about it. You can't, you can't create a new streak with a guy like Kane because he's too old. You can't create the streak with a guy like Mark Henry because he's too old. You can't create the streak with Sting because, again, he's too old. But you can create it with Brock Lesnar because it is tailor-made for his schedule, his persona, and above all else, Paul Heyman will make it work. Mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, on August 22nd, 2014 at 12.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Rich said Brock Lesnar should have his own streak. Keep notes, folks. Keep notes. Anyway, overall, SummerSlam was a surprisingly solid card. I really, really, really enjoyed it. So let's fast forward and go into Monday Night Raw where Stephanie McMahon comes out channeling her inner Daniel Bryan, which was pretty amusing, definitely very amusing. Um, Brie Bella comes out in her T-shirt dress. Nikki Bella's out there complaining, looking like a like a giant Bratz doll in the wrestling ring. She's I'm looking at Nikki Bella, I'm like, yo, you are a human Bratz doll. Like, you, you're, you're a fucking, just a human uh, fucking action figure. That's what you are. You are a plastic action figure standing out there. And my sister, Brie, she never cared about me. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, yo, your acting is shit. Shit, I tell you. Shit. But either way, it was, it was as, as, you know, as plausible of, a, of an angle as you can expect. You know, it was, it was a decent opener. Um, Stephanie McMahon definitely tried to put it over the top, which she did. But, um, yeah. The rest, the rest of that was just terrible, terrible. I like, I liked Brie Bella's black eye that she that she had. It was, it was a nice touch. Uh, again, the little things definitely bring it full circle. But I will say that um, the opening segment, excluding Stephanie McMahon's uh, Daniel Bryan parody T-shirt, was just a, a, a really, really bad opener. That's all I gotta say. But. On the flip side, we did get a pretty decent match between the Wyatt family and Mark Henry in the Big Show because clearly uh, the tag team of Big and Tall is going to be what we're going to be seeing every week. Destination XL, uh, the Big and Tall tag team, are going to be the team to beat going forward. And and it bothers me because, you know, the Wyatts really deserved at least one run with the titles. At least one, just one. But it looks like we're going to breed, uh, we're going to start um prepping Destination XL to be your new tag team champions or at least be in the hunt for the tag team title. So any chance of Mark Henry being in that stable with uh, Woods and um, Kofi Kingston and Big E, probably out the window at this point. And again, Destination XL, Big and Tall, are probably going to get a run with the tag team titles. Take that as it will. So 
We got our backstage segment with Dolph Ziggler and The Miz with a rematch with Ric Flair just standing there taking up space. But this this <laughs> this was not the segment of the night, ladies and gentlemen. The segment of the night belongs to the one and only Dean Ambrose, who inadvertently or intentionally decided to make Seth Rollins take the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge by pouring a giant heaping bucket of ice water on him and then muttering these words, what? It's for charity. Not only that, but then proceeding to hit Seth Rollins in the face with said bucket. Bravo, Dean Ambrose. You made me actually chuckle within the first half hour of wrestling. Definitely a uh, a nice way to get the ball rolling. And, of course, that would set up the match for later on in the evening. Now, the next match of the evening was Paige and Natalia, which was pretty good. AJ coming out, of course, leading to the distraction, which got Natalia the pinfall. And, uh, yeah, obviously, you pin the champion. You may get a, a title opportunity. But the match itself, was it was all right. Obviously, Paige... And and AJ's business is unfinished, and Paige, you know, the match didn't even go on long enough to really uh, generate any sort of a, you know, of an opinion other than, oh, look, it's AJ, she skipped out, she cost Paige the match, big shocker. But, again, where this is going, again, long-term rivalry, I have no issue. Now, let's talk about Brock Lesnar and the unification of, of the of the WWE titles, which are now just one belt, the WWE World Heavyweight Title. I liked where they went with it. I liked that Brock Lesnar said, and they had the video footage where he's like, "I'm not carrying around two belts." I liked where they went with that. It was a nice way, a, a dignified way to retire the big gold belt. So you got the one belt now with the obviously the uh, the customized badges on the side and the new WWE logo. I see no issue with it. I felt that the promo from Paul Heyman was ridiculous it was amazing eat sleep suplex repeat which is definitely going to be a t-shirt and i guarantee you it'll probably be basic brockonomics on the front and then eat sleep suplex repeat sponsored by jimmy johns on the back now jay says that the belt is horrible now i'm curious jay what don't you like about the belt uh, i i just noticed that again the new logo and the badges on the side doesn't look any different than the other WWE belt, but maybe I'm missing something. So by all means, please enlighten me because I'm not sure what else made that belt horrible. I did feel it wasn't as shiny and it wasn't as extravagant as I would have expected. I mean, you know, you're the WWE world heavyweight champion. I expected something big and lavish. Jay says that belt shows WWE is on a budget too small. Okay. Maybe it's also small because Brock Lesnar's a massive human being. Uh, just just throwing that out there. I don't I don't disagree. I did feel the belt was small. I think it's probably just because of the way it was being held. But I don't know. I'm curious to see if a guy like, you know, a guy like Daniel Bryan or um you know, or or somebody smaller, it would look more normal. Jay says that the belt should be gaudy. Now, do we mean gaudy like the big gold belt or gaudy like the spinner belt? Because <laughs> it don't get ga- more gaudy than that. Holy shit, that spinner belt was the worst. And the spinner U.S. title. Fuck that belt, too. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get a uh, 
little bit of monster here because I was drying out, but Paul Heyman really brought that full circle. I really like that promo. It it made it made Brock Lesnar that much more of a of an asshole, that much more of a threat. Just the guy at the top of the tower in Game of Death, and you got to defeat all these other superstars to get to him. That's what it was. Paul Heyman made it work, and I liked it. It was it was good. Every part of that promo was legit. And I'd love to share the video clip with you, but for some reason, uh, it's deciding to, uh, the screen's not working according to, actually, wait a minute. I think that'll work. Let me see. Yes, yes, it is working. I All right. But, um, <laughs> Isaiah, I like the Spinner US belt. You did? Are you serious, dude? That belt was, you know what that belt reminded me of? Did you ever watch like an old like K7 video or like a Rex and Effects rump shaker video? It just looked like a spinning rim on a real shitty uh, Chevy Impala that you decided to make look. You decided that it would look cool by putting like American rims on it. Like that's what it looked like. It just looked like a rim on a shitty car down south or in Cuba or in Puerto Rico during the summer. Ugh. <laughs> Fucking it but you're entitled to like it dude you're entitled to like it it's all good anyway so we got our intercontinental title rematch between the miz and dolph ziggler uh the crowd super into it the match had a really good ending uh the miz winning via count out was nice uh kept both guys strong without really doing any damage to either of their mo- to eat to either guy's momentum i had no problems with it it was good and i'm sure that the payoff is going to happen at night of champions. Now, um, <laughs> I'm not going to read that, but I understand, dude. I truly, truly understand. Um, Jack Swagger and Cesaro met up for the 55,000th time in a pretty decent, in a pretty decent match. Again, this was just done for the setup with Bo Dallas, which, you know, pretty much a snooze fest. That's what, that's what that was. Uh, Renee Young and Chris Jericho's interview. I really liked I really liked how Chris Jericho put over Bray Wyatt, and I believe this is probably Chris Jericho's last appearance on WWE programming. If I'm wrong, then, you know, it is what it is, but I know that he was going to be wrapping up with the company, and I believe he was scheduled to to go back on tour with Fozzie. Uh, Don't hold me to it. I'll see if I can get some dates just to be sure, but if we're not seeing Chris Jericho, that was a good way, once again, like I said with Paul Heyman, to put your opponent over. Definitely solid. Uh, we had ourselves a six-man tag match, Randy Orton, Curtis Axel, and Ryback taking on Roman Reigns, Sheamus, and RVD. Again, a very random team. Obviously, we know that Ryback-Axel uh, is in the tag team division trying to get a shot at the tag team titles. So I would have liked to have seen Roman Reigns and the Usos against um, Ryback-Axel and Randy Orton. I think that would have made more sense than the very odd pairing of Reigns, Sheamus, and RVD. I think they just wanted to get... Sheamus some TV time because really nobody gives a shit about Sheamus at this point. So they figured, eh, we'll just go with that. But we did get to see the Usos in tag team action against Goldust and Stardust. And get this, uh, the Dust Brothers actually did secure themselves a victory. And uh, who knows, might put them in the tag team hunt and possibly a tag team title run is in the future for Stardust and Goldust. Overall, great ring work. From both teams, I know that Stardust continues to improve every week, 
And I think that the Usos at this point, if they lost the belts and they chase for a little bit, would still stay strong. I definitely think so. So, of course, Rusev comes out with Lana to talk some shit. Everybody's chanting USA. All of a sudden, Mark Henry's music hits. And then Mark Henry proceeds to serve Rusev accordingly. Now, the funny thing about this is it's very easy for you to say, oh, you know, Mark Henry's going to be the guy to break Rusev. But I think that this is really just a, a subtle way of upping Rusev's competition. You go from a former world champion like Jack Swagger to a big threat like Rusev. Eventually, I'm sure we'll feud with the big show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I see no problems with this. I really like that Mark Henry, again, the world's strongest man, uh, former Olympian, came out, said his piece, put Rusev on his ass. And I, again, I don't expect their matches are going to be five-star uh, technical matches, but I do think that there's going to be some awesome spots. We're going to definitely see some cool shit. And um, it's a feud that's worth keeping an eye on. Again, it's part of it's part of the the, the building Rusev up to get into uh, some bigger feuds. Uh, Slick said it; they will probably have a good strongman style match, and I agree. I agree a hundred percent. So let's talk about false count anywhere. Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. So these guys they stole the show Sunday night, and then they just came in here and wrecked shop. On Monday night, every part of this match was amazing. Every part of this match was amazing. Um, Kane's involvement was well played. The curb stomp to the cinder blocks to close things out. Of course, people were pissed off about the ending. But if you've been following the dirt sheets like I have, you know that Dean Ambrose is scheduled to go and film a movie with WWE Films, which is called Lockdown. So it's a good way to write him off television and obviously there's going to be ways that you can still keep him involved even if he's going to be filming the movie. So it was definitely one of those good what-the-fuck endings where you just marked out heavy. I definitely marked out. Um, I like Rollins' look after he did it, you know, after he delivered the curb stomp. He just had this look like, I did it. I finally beat him. I, I beat him. And I like that WWE's been adding to the story by saying that Dean Ambrose escaped, um, you know, from medical treatment um and is on the loose like i like that i like the way that they were like yo he's on the loose he escaped it was it was definitely good um you know uh slick says it looked like he kind of felt bad about it at the same time you know what it is i think that he didn't realize that he can go that dark and i think that that's what it was it was just a shock that you can go to this dark place to finally defeat your opponent and I think that's going to be a good story because it's going to it's going to have Ambrose come back and say it took you having to go and dig into the pit of your soul to take me out. And even doing that, you still couldn't take me out. I think there's definitely some really, really great storytelling there. Again, it would definitely be effective if creative does it the right way. But again, you're writing him off TV. He's going to go film a movie. It's all about what you do to keep the momentum going. That's going to matter at this point. Simple as that, but the match, holy shit, I actually marked out. I haven't marked, you know, I mean, I marked out on, on Sunday night, but I was in legit markout mode seeing that because I was like, oh, shit, you know? I mean, the breadcrumb, the breadcrumb blocks, the, the cinder blocks were a little over the top just because it would require incredible force to break a cinder block, obviously, unless you're a martial artist or you're delivering an elbow or a knee strike, 
but just a curb stomp itself, eh, not so much. I mean, I've seen I've seen you know martial arts masters destroy cinder blocks with their bare hands, and um, I've seen it, and you could probably find it on YouTube. But you're curb stomping a man onto a cinder block, and you're not breaking every bone in his face. You're not crushing his orbital socket. You're not breaking his nose. You're not breaking his jaw. Like that's where the that's where the issue lies. And of course, everybody's gonna say, "Yeah, Rich, but it's wrestling." Yeah, but but still, it's like the the thing we joke about with Triple H when he hits somebody with a sledgehammer. It's like if I hit you with a sledgehammer, you're not coming back on television next week. Simple as that. If I hit you with a sledgehammer, it's lights out. That's it. See you later. Bye. <laughs> like that's pretty much it. But you know, I digress. I will say the match itself was an amazing way to close out Raw. Raw was very solid for a post-pay-per-view edition. I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the matches and a lot of the angles. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's exactly that. It was, it was solid. It was solid from start to finish. Again, the Bella segment in the beginning, kind of a little rough. But everything else was pretty good. Everything else was pretty good. And, of course, uh, Slick reminded me, Survivor Series 2015, uh, Survivor Series, excuse me, SummerSlam 2015 will be here in New York. Isaiah writes, the trick with cinder blocks is that if you crack it a little on the other side, it breaks easily. And it's true. I, I agree with that. But think about it. I am stomping on your head and your jaw, the left side and, and the side of your face are against a cinder block. I don't care how much of a crack there is. You should have cuts on your face and maybe a broken bone or two. The shit exactly. The shit turned to dust. It really did turn to dust. It was. I was like, okay, but still, it 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 it's, it made. You know what helped that really work well? The camera angles. Because if you notice, the camera angle went to a wide shot from the back of Ambrose. Like it didn't show Ambrose completely on his side from a from a profile shot. It really kind of it kind of came around. And was behind Ambrose so that it re- you see pretty much the leg and the foot coming down on his face, and then that was it. You know, you see, it was it was a, a really really good piece of camera work. And again, not something you see every day. I mean, we've seen chairs, we've seen glass, we've seen TVs and monitors, but it's not every day you see somebody's head stomped into a cinder block. So again, I applaud WWE for thinking outside of the box, but. You could have you could have done it a little better, maybe a little a blade job, put some little nicks and cuts on his face. Uh, maybe he would have been holding the side of his face or whatever, or the paramedics would have came and they would have been like secure the side of his head and they could have put like ice on his face or something. Just just little things again, little things, little things. That's all I'm saying, little things. <laughs> but again, overall post pay per view edition of Raw was incredibly kick-ass. Now, due to the uh, change in schedule this week, TNA Impact is now on Wednesdays. And the thing about TNA Impact being on Wednesdays is that it allows me to talk about it for once. So, of course, TNA has been on the fence with wrestling fans across the country because we pretty much were unsure that TNA, well, we were uncertain, I should say. We were uncertain that TNA would continue on Spike TV. Well, Dixie Carter did announce that TNA will remain on Spike TV through the remainder of 2014. As for the matches themselves, 
Um, a lot of a lot of decent matches, good storytelling. Um, I think that the stairway to Janice match between Abyss and Bram was surprisingly good. I do feel that Bram has a tremendous upside. I mean, WWE cut this guy loose, but his look is so unique that I really like where they're going with his character. And Abyss is always just a, a, a good, a solid performer in any angle or match he's involved in. Now, the X Division title match between Samoa Joe and Low Key is about as awesome as awesome can be. These are two guys that they have a long-standing rivalry that goes all the way back to other promotions that they've been in, and you knew you were going to get a five-star match, and they delivered across the board. I continue to say that, you know, low-key in WWE, it was better that they cut him loose because he's just way too unique of a performer to be utilized effectively, and Samoa Joe definitely needs at least one WWE run. If you can sign Steen, you can definitely sign Joe. Just saying. The I Quit match with Samuel Shaw and Mr. Anderson was... It was was all right. You know, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to to do that, Jay, in November. Uh, Loki's supposed to be at House of Glory in November and is rumored to be facing their newly crowned heavyweight champion, Ricochet. We'll see if that's the case, but... Loki is an amazing performer, a, a, a solid dude, and I think um, I think I'm gonna definitely have to get out there in November and see him perform live, just to shake his hand and just be like, dude, I'm a huge fan. Uh, loved your work with the Rottweilers with Homicide. Uh, loved your work in Ring of Honor. Loved your work as part of Triple X with uh, Christopher Daniels and Primetime Elix Skipper during the old TNA days. Just just to let him know that and let him know how, how much of a fan I am. Um, I think I may have to do that. Thank you for the reminder, Jay. Uh, The only other thing I want to talk about, the last knockout standing match with Gail Kim, Angelina Love, was very, very good. Gail Kim continues to impress. Um, Gail Kim, her WWE run was incredibly forgettable, but in TNA, she definitely has a a huge highlight reel. Her matches with Taryn Terrell, her work with the beautiful people, always stellar matches. Gail Kim, one of the most underutilized talents out there, uh, incredibly enjoyable. Like I said, she not only is very technical, but she mixes in some high flying and she does her fair share of brawling. I really, really liked uh, her chemistry with Angelina Love. The match itself, incredibly violent. Uh, Gail Kim hitting a Samoan drop from the ropes onto a chair was ridiculous. It's not every day that I'm telling you that Divas, or in this case, Knockouts, are having a last man standing match. Well, a last a last knockout standing. It was ridiculous. Really was ridiculous. So, the uh, number one contenders match, Six Sides of Steel, Bobby Roode, Gunner, Eric Young, Austin Aries, Magnus, and James Storm. Of course, the winner would become the number one contender for Bobby Lashley's TNA heavyweight title. Uh, funny funny ending, and this was an ending we've seen before. Uh, it was Bobby Roode and Eric Young hitting the, the floor at the same time. Of course, no clear winner, but um, definitely uh, either one of those guys is going to have a good match with Bobby Lashley because, well, let me rephrase that. Both those guys are going to have... Nope, that's, that's, poor, that's poor wording. Here we go. Eric Young is going to have a decent match. Bobby Roode is going to have a good match. 
That's that's more like it. Because Eric Young, he's good, but again, he's a guy that is only as good as his opponent. Bobby Roode, on the other hand, is on a whole other level. Definitely a, one of those guys that can carry people to really good matches, and Bobby Lashley needs all the help he can get. That's all I'm saying. But overall, not a bad episode of Impact. Surprisingly good. They've really been doing very well after the New York shows. I think TNA has just hit a, a really good um, momentum swing, and it's, and it's swinging in the right direction, the momentum, and they're delivering some really solid wrestling. I know I owed you guys a, a live blog, uh, but the between the TNA schedule change and the work in my in my real job, I couldn't set one up for Jay, so uh, that was my bad. But hopefully next week we will be able to have a TNA Impact Live blog for Wednesday. All right, so let's get into the uh, other wrestling news for the week. As always, if you want to participate in any of our segments, our caller number 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. Three five four one. If you want to participate in any of our segments this evening, all right. So, the wrestling news for this week. Last week we talked about the Alberto Del Rio fallout. Now this week, it seems that we got a little bit more information. Of course, courtesy of the internet, because it it gets found out eventually. So, as it turns out, uh, WWE social media worker some people are saying he's the worker head of social media depending on who you ask uh cody barbieri was backstage uh they were having food at catering and somebody said something about cleaning up the dishes putting the dishes away something and he said um that isn't that del rio's job and del rio wasn't there but somebody brought it to his attention and del rio showed up got in the guy's face, demanded an apology, the guy laughed in his face, and Alberto Del Rio slapped the shit out of him, which, of course, led to him being fired. Now, originally, Alberto Del Rio was allegedly supposed to be suspended, but instead they went with firing him. Now, the funny thing is, after he was fired, he said that Triple H told him that, listen, we're going to fire you, but, you know, once the heat dies down, we'll bring you back in six months, and Del Rio pretty much was just like, nope. I don't want to come back. So very interesting turn of events, regardless of, like I've said before, how you feel about Del Rio as a performer, as um, somebody who's Hispanic, I am not a fan of, of racism or any sort of just racial shit. Not cool. Like if you, if, if, if you really want to bring out some, uh, a slap in the face, you'll do some dumb shit like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan because I've experienced different types of racism off air in different instances and it's just not cool so to hear that that was the situation and the fact that that's still going on and on top of that that this guy cody barbieri remains employed is is just not good press for wwe think about it this guy and allegedly this isn't his first incident either saying something derogatory about del rio the first time he said something i think del rio kind of let it slide but the second time not so much and the funny thing is, it's like the performer loses his job, but there's two sides to every story. If the guy did say something like that, which Del Rio said there were witnesses that can vouch for him, then he should be fired too because that's discrimination and racism. And, and considering that WWE is advocating anti-bullying and tolerance and acceptance, uh, keeping the guy that basically called your, 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 your superstar a Mexican dishwasher is not the move 
not the way to do business. And I think that that's one of the reasons that a lot of people are really, really conflicted about this Del Rio situation. Because on one side, it's like, yeah, you know, he shouldn't have slapped the dude. And he even said it himself in the interview he did recently. He was like, yeah, you know, it was in poor judgment, but I was angry. And I thought about it and I said, you know what, for us for a moment, let me put myself in Del Rio's shoes. And I said, I probably would have slapped the shit out of the dude too. And that was the thing. It wasn't like he punched the dude. He just, he slapped him. He slapped him like a bitch. And, um, I, I see, I see no fault in that because it's a very, very touchy issue. Very touchy. And you really, I, I understand as a performer, you have to gauge yourself but wrestlers, they fight all the time. And I think the bigger issue was the fact that it was a wrestler and a non-wrestler. And the fact that keeping Del Rio on the payroll, this guy could have sued them. But honestly, I would have, you know, I would have called Del Rio in. I would have suspended him and I would have fired the guy. That's it. Suspend Del Rio for six months and fire the guy and say, listen, you know, we're living, we're living in an age where we're promoting tolerance, where we have a wide assortment of of different nationalities, creeds, religions, uh, sexual orientations on our roster, and we can't have a guy like you here. And that would have been it. But allegedly, they say that you know he's got a he's a he's a favorite of Stephanie McMahon's and the Mc, and, and Triple H, and that's one of the reasons why he hasn't got fired. I have a feeling that once the hype dies down, he's going to mysteriously resign, or he will get cut loose due to budget cuts. You know, like it's, 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 it's a, it's a really fucked up situation. Nobody wins. Del Rio obviously is unemployed. And on top of that, he has a non-compete. The WWE loses a guy that even whether you loved him or hate him or hated him was one of the few people that connected with the Hispanic audience. And, um, above all else, you lose a, a superstar that depending on, on, on who he had matches with was, you know, was good filler. He was good filler. That's it. But I have a feeling that this story isn't going to end with just Del Rio being fired. I think this guy, Cody Barbieri, is probably going to get caught out there too. It's just a matter of when. TNA uh, suffered some some really, really uh, tough news this week as Davey Richards broke his leg during a house show match against Devon and Mr. Anderson. Uh, Davey Richards was taken to the hospital and he has a broken fibula. So, um, definitely a tough break for the TNA tag team champions. Uh, what they do from here on out remains to be seen. Uh, there's rumors that they're going to have an alternate partner for, uh, Eddie Edwards until Davey gets better. Others are saying that they may strip him of the belts, but, um, definitely, uh, now, not a not a good look for TNA, and yes, uh, definitely no pun intended on on a tough break. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. But I do, I do, I gotta say, I'm a big fan of Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards. I I love their work in Ring of Honor. Um, Davey Richards, lots of lots of reminders of Chris Benoit, minus the uh, uh, pillow over the face and the Bible on the nightstand and the hanging by weightlifting equipment. But other than that, definitely a lot of reminders of the late Chris Benoit when Davey Richards wrestles. Hopefully uh, he will recover quickly and we can see him back on TNA Impact sooner rather than later. So another another tough blow to TNA is a rumor that's been circulating that Bully Ray is not going to re-sign with the company. 
Some people are saying that due to uh, contract negotiations with his contract being up, that Bully Ray was not happy with the contract that was offered him and will no longer be with TNA. I don't know how true that is, but it's it's an interesting time because Bully Ray was coming off an amazing angle with Dixie Carter, um, a TNA title run, probably in the best shape he's been in years, and now possibly a free agent. But there's also rumors floating around that WWE is not interested in bringing him back. I think Bully Ray brings a lot to the table whether as a trainer or even as an active competitor because he has such a good look. His mic work is outstanding. And I think WWE has a serious uh, gap right now with regards to faces. I mean, bringing in an anti-hero like Bully Ray, even if it's for a limited amount of time and then transitioning him to being a trainer in NXT would be worth exploring. I think Bully Ray has something to add. The problem was that when Bully Ray left WWE previously, He did not leave on the best of terms. So I think, if anything, what's going to derail any return is going to be any of the issues that he had on the way out. But if this is the last time we're going to see Bully Ray on TNA programming, it's definitely a bad move by TNA because he's definitely one of their more popular performers. Just saying. So it's not every day we talk about what the fuck wrestling news, but there's actually wrestling news that really, really just made me do a double take when I read them. Um, A lot of you that follow the independent wrestling scene know about Ring of Honor, Shimmer, Shine, and various other promotions. Uh, I want to talk about Chikara, who do a, a tournament called the King of Trios. Now, the beauty of Chikara is that when they do their King of Trios tournament, we see amazing amazing talent that we've never seen before we also see some nostalgia talent um and occasionally we just see some teams that are just completely out of left field so when i was reading about the announcement for king of trios 2014 i really had to adjust my screen for this chikara announced today that the spirit squad kenny mikey and johnny are the first team that will be entered in the 2014 King of Trios tournament. Do not adjust your dials, ladies and gentlemen. I did say the Spirit Squad. I did say Kenny, Mikey, and Johnny. So, of course, uh, Ken Doan, which is Kenny. Uh, Mikey, of course, Mike Mondo. And Johnny, who I forgot what the hell his name was when he wrestled are returning as the spirit squad and they will be in the chikara king of trios tournament uh definitely not something i would see myself reporting in 2014 but yes the spirit squad are back crazy as that may sound so last bit of wrestling news definitely a a bit of a downer is a rumor going around that uh, daniel bryan is going to require tommy john surgery And, um, of course, a lot of you guys know that Tommy John surgery is usually required by baseball pitchers and usually keeps baseball pitchers on the shelf for three to six months, depending. But they're saying that Daniel Bryan may require this surgery as well. Now, the funny thing is just more and more health reasons, uh, more and more health issues keep popping up for Daniel Bryan. But there's a part of me that thinks that WWE is enjoying the fact that that Daniel Bryan is on the shelf because they can push guys like Roman Reigns who are the guys they really, really want to push. See, 
The problem with a guy like Daniel Bryan is that he's so over that he doesn't need the company to invest in him. The crowd can just be vocal to the point where they have to listen. And in this instance, it's like Daniel Bryan's absence has opened doors for a ton of different guys. Like I said, Roman Reigns. Oh, which call dropped? Hold on a second, guys. The uh, Blog Talk Radio feed dropped. Hold on a second. Let me dial back in. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Click. I'm back. Uh, sorry, we're having a little... All right, Rich is back. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, good old Blog Talk Radio. We're going 2-4 this week. Last week we had a call drop. This week we had a call drop as well. I think uh, we're going to need to maybe boost up our upload and download speed. Maybe somebody's using some Wi-Fi. Might be the case. And uh, made us lose audio. In any event, right before we... um. We hung up. I said that uh, Daniel Bryan's absence is kind of beneficial to guys like Roman Reigns, even Ambrose and Rollins to a degree, just because, um, you know, the, the, the slots are open. But I will say that I'd rather Daniel Bryan come back 100% healthy than rush back for fear of losing his spot. Because considering how Daniel Bryan is over with the crowd, I sincerely doubt that Daniel Bryan's going to have to compete much for a spot on the roster when he comes back. But again, that's a story that we'll dig into a little deeper next week. Anyway, that's going to wrap up wrestling for this week. Let's get into this week's gaming news. There is much to discuss, and I'm sure Slick is going to add to the conversation as well. Let's get to it, shall we? All right, let's get into this week's gaming news, and we got to talk MPD numbers. We got a lot to discuss, so let's get to it. We're definitely running on all cylinders this week. For those of you that are fans of World of Warcraft, get ready. There is a brand new expansion pack coming, which is probably going to make record-breaking bank for Blizzard as usual. Uh, That's going to be the Warlords of Draenor, and that expansion pack will be hitting retailers on November 13th. So if you're a World of Warcraft fan, definitely throw that on your calendar. November 13th is your target date for the Warcraft expansion, Warlords of Draenor. So there you have it. Um, you're going to get uh, pretty much the the huge turnout that you've expected with other Warcraft expansion packs, I think is going to be pretty much the norm with this one. It's crazy to me because... I couldn't get into World of Warcraft just because I'm not as much of a PC gamer, but I've watched people play it, and I can understand how easy it is to get sucked in because it's just an amazing, you know, it's just a crazy game that there's there's so many levels, there's so many layers, and above all else, there is a ton of replay value. But in any event, uh, mark it down on your calendars, November 13th, uh, World of Warcraft expansion, Warlords of Draenor. So this past weekend, right before SummerSlam, 2K held an event with IGN announcing their WWE 2K15 roster, which I do feel is probably not 100% final. I'm sure there'll be some coming via DL- some other superstars via DLC, but for the time being, here is who you will be pl- able to play as in WWE 2K15. Bray Wyatt, Cesaro, Hogan, Cena, Roman Reigns, Sting, Crow, Sting, Retro, Jericho, Ziggler, Fandango, Sheamus, uh, Big Show, Sandow, Brock Lesnar, CM Punk, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Goldust, Dean Ambrose, Batista, Jimmy and Jey Uso, AJ Lee, Big E, Jack Swagger, 
Tyson Kidd, Darren Young, Rey Mysterio, The Bellas, Titus O'Neil, The Rock, Hollywood Hogan, Seth Rollins, Kofi Kingston, R-Truth, Justin Gabriel, wow, uh, Randy Orton, Naomi, Daniel Bryan, Xavier Woods, The Miz, Tamina, Rob Van Dam, of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Eric Rowan and Harper, and Luke Harper, The Undertaker, Alberto Del Rio, uh, Bad News Barrett, Booker T, Cameron, Cody Rhodes, I'm sure there'll probably be a Stardust DLC, uh, Curtis Axel, Kane, Kevin Nash, Mark Henry, Natalia, Rick, Rick Flair, Ryback, Santino, and Summer Ray. So, listen to this. They put Summer Ray in this game already. So, there you have it. I noticed, and I don't think I read her name, but Layla is probably not in it as of right now. That probably means that Layla, Stardust, um, <clears throat> those characters will probably be, they'll probably be DLC. And if not, depending on how good the creator wrestler feature is, you can always go that route as well. A bit of news that has a lot of feathers ruffled involves Assassin's Creed Unity, which it's been announced will be utilizing what we all love so much, microtransactions. We all know microtransactions are never a good thing for any game, and for Assassin's Creed, I'm sure that they will milk us for every red cent. In any case, it is something that we we can expect in Assassin's Creed Unity when it arrives on Xbox One, PS4, and PC on October 28th. Jay said that a Divas DLC pack. Yep, you're right. There'll probably be a, a total Divas DLC pack or something stupid like that. Jay, I wouldn't be shocked. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about the MPD numbers for the month of July because these numbers came out after last week's show, and I was a little pissed off that I couldn't get into it with you guys. So I want to share them with you because a lot of things jumped out that were worth that were noteworthy and deserve to be discussed. Uh, hardware sales, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, drowning over here. I don't know why. Anyway, hardware sales for July 2014 versus July 2013 doubled. So. Definitely a step in the right direction. Of course, the combined the combined sales of Xbox One and PlayStation Four have, you know, have been a huge factor. And um, part of the reason is because it's been available with with minimal uh, back orders and minimal issues. So that's been a great help. Um, I remember back in the day when you were looking for a Wii U, I mean a Wii or a PlayStation Three, that the drought lasted very very deep into the summer. Now, that's not the case. I mean, November and December, um, even January were a little tight, but pretty much everybody was able to get a next-gen console with minimal issue. And, um, of course, PlayStation 4 continues to be the top-selling next-gen console for the seventh month in a row. Now, with regards to titles, let's talk about the uh, the most-purchased titles for the month of July. Now, I'm going to uh, read them backwards just because... Yeah, some of the some of the titles shouldn't shock you, but some of them definitely uh, got my attention. Um, Lego Marvel Super Heroes was number ten, and um, NBA Two K fourteen was number nine. Uh, Sniper Elite three was number eight. GTA five was number seven. Call of Duty Ghosts was number six. Mario Kart eight was number five. Watch Dogs was number four, still holding on strong. Uh, FIFA 14 was number three. Minecraft for the 360 and PS3 was number two. And get this, the remastered Last of Us was the number one most purchased game for the month of July. I I understand that a lot of people missed out on Last of Us. I was one of them because it just 
I, I just had such a backlog of games, but I really did not expect The Last of Us to to just come and just take the number one spot. Now, a lot of people that have been playing it just said that they took a good game and made it better. People that missed out on it are just saying that the game was amazing. Um, overall, definitely a big shocker for me um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, usually in July, we have a brand new NCAA college football game, which we don't get. And the other thing is that July is usually very, very quiet for game sales. But that is not the case. Instead, uh, The Last of Us definitely moved a lot of units. Minecraft and FIFA 14 did a hell of a lot of damage for the month of July. Now, I'm curious, and I want to kind of I want to put this out there because Nintendo had nine separate 3DS games that surpassed a million units. Uh, Mario Kart 7, Super Mario 3D Land, New Super Mario Brothers, Pokemon X, Pokemon Y, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, Animal Crossing New Leaf, Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, and The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds have all sold over a million units. Now, people aren't running out there talking about this because obviously when it comes to talking about good news with Nintendo, people just don't seem to want to do that. But that's a very, very, very impressive statistic that nine separate 3DS games have surpassed a million units. That's not a number that you can, you know, turn the other cheek for. And the other thing is Mario Kart 8 broke the million unit mark, becoming the second Wii U game to do so. New Super Mario Brothers U, of course, um, broke that mark a long time ago. But not only that, Mario Kart 8 continues to drive momentum for the Wii U. I know people that are picking up the Wii U just for Mario Kart 8. The crazy thing is that Wii U hardware and software sales have increased nearly 60% versus the same period in 2013. This is what I'm saying, and I've said it before, and Slick has been on here numerous times, and we continue to say it. You give Nintendo fans good titles, people will buy the systems. Simple as that, plain as day. It, it, it's 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 as easy as that if you give nintendo fans good titles you are guaranteed guaranteed to move units that's it the same way that it applies for uh xbox one playstation 4 360 ps3 you put out good four star triple a titles whatever however you want to classify them you know that you're gonna be getting really really good you know you're gonna get really good market share I mean, Isaiah said it, 3DS is and always will be gold. And it's true. The 3DS is a tremendous system. Yeah, it started off a little slow, but then the library of games just picked up so fast that everybody I know picked up a 3DS in some capacity. I mean, I picked one up for my sister, and she has a a solid library of titles that she still plays. I mean, I picked her up the Wii U for her birthday uh, last week, and again... I picked it up, two games, it came with uh, Super Mario Brothers U, Super Luigi U, and I bought, uh, my brother got a Mario Kart 8, again, it's a no-brainer, you bought the console, you knew Mario Kart was going to be one of the games that you were going to need to pick up, and sure as shit, that was the first game I bought, you know, that's the first game that we made sure we got her, because it's a game that we knew was going to be played immediately, and that's what I'm saying, you give Nintendo fans, you give gamers good titles, they will buy the system. Cause I know before 2014 goes out, I'm sure I'm sure I'm gonna own a Wii U as well. Because there are a couple games I definitely want to play. Uh, most of them, of course, are first-party titles. But there's enough of them that they'll get my attention. Like I've said, you give me two or three titles I can pick up and play, I will definitely invest the money. Simple as that. 
I'm shocked that Slick didn't want to chime in on that just because I know that he's been a big proponent of the Wii U and and he said the same thing that you know once good titles come out systems will move but I'm sure he's probably uh let's see Isaiah I bought a DS off of Bronx and we play it all the time every game you mentioned and that's what I mean you give people those games they're guaranteed they're guaranteed to make people want to invest in the system it's easy as that now I will say this obviously before August goes out you know that the arrival of the next gen Madden is imminent I know that a lot of our a lot of my uh, fellow gaming journalists are currently playing Madden and they've said nothing but amazing things about it. Again, I have a, a love-hate relationship with EA and roster update aka Madden um, is one of those things where again, love-hate relationship, but I will say this is the first true next-gen Madden built from the ground up. So there's a lot of expectations. A lot of expectations being laid out, but the the initial conversations I've heard from various journalists that I know are that it is very, very badass. That's all people are saying. People are saying it's fucking sick, and um, they're kind of sticking to their guns on that one. Me, personally, like I said, if I play it, it'll probably be a Gamefly rental unless... Um, EA decides to forget all the terrible things I've said about them over the years and sends us a copy for review, but I'm sure uh, somebody on the MTR team is going to pick it up just because it's Madden, and we do got a couple of diehard football fans in our midst, so it may happen. Jay personally said that he is not getting another Madden for two years. <laughs> that's a that's a solid that's a solid piece of rationale there, just skipping Madden um, every year and maybe going to every two years. I think that releasing Madden every two years would work quite well because that way you'd ensure that you can make money with roster updates or or certain things maybe tied into fantasy football do something like that but of course it's easier to just crank it out yearly because you know that the same fucking guys are going to be camping out year after year to get their hands on the Madden classic we'll see how it goes we'll see if um the hype is as warranted as it, as it has been behind the scenes and um I'm I know for a fact that Madden is probably going to be the number one selling game for the month of August it's just it's just a no-brainer at this point we know that as soon as August comes out uh, as soon as the month of August shows up on our calendar we know it's Madden season and not only that but it's coming out right before the kids go back to school so they'll be able to get one full weekend plus Labor Day with Madden hell I know a couple of my coworkers who may um, succumb to mysterious illnesses on the 26th and get the, to get their hands on Madden. But that's a story that I'll probably share with you guys for next week's show. And we'll see if these guys did actually call out to stay home and play Madden. But with that said, that's actually going to close up the, uh, the gaming news for this week. Again, a little quiet, a little light. And uh, we're going to get into some entertainment news because there's uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on. And... Um, we're doing actually some pretty good time, so let's get right to it, shall we? As always, My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. Get the best pop culture and superhero tees, accessories, and various other things. Belts, uh, boxer shorts, socks from SuperheroStuff.com. You can even use our promo code 14RADIO to save 14% off your total order again superherostuff.com is our advertiser for our entertainment segment and their promo code 14 radio will get you 14 percent off your total order all right so 
First thing I want to open up with is some small screen news. For those of you that are fans of American Horror Story, they got a brand new series coming out, American Horror Story Freak Show, that released a teaser trailer, which I'll be putting on RageWorks.net later on tonight. And um, it will be airing on Wednesday, October 8th at 10 o'clock. And a lot of the cast that you know and love from previous American Horror Story installments will be appearing in this brand new one. And um, Jessica Lang. Uh, Kathy Bates, Angela Bassett, Sarah Paulson, uh, Gabare Sidibe, Evan Peters, Michael Chiklis, Wes Bentley. Uh, definitely a solid, solid cast. Um, they're actually going to be using the shortest women in the world for that show. Thank you for that, Jay. Um, I'm curious because I've had a love-hate relationship with American Horror Story. The first season was amazing. The second season in the mental institution and asylum was was pretty good. I I was a little eh, with the with the third season with the witches, but um, American Horror Story Freak Show looks promising. We'll see what happens. Now, this next bit of news I want to get into is a little controversial. A lot of people have kind of been uh, rather adamant about it. And I'm going to share it with you guys, and I'm curious to hear what you guys got to say. So, it involves The Walking Dead and Daryl Dixon's character. So, ComicBook.com um, stated in an article uh, that Robert Kirkman was answering questions regarding uh, Walking Dead issue 130, and someone asked if Daryl Dixon, who of course is played by Norman Reedus, could be gay. Now, check this out. Now, um... Everybody that that knows the Walking Dead series knows that the character of Daryl Dixon was created for the series and is not a character in the books. Um, We also know that Carol Carol and Beth have also kind of tried to make romantic overtures to Daryl and nothing has happened with either one of them. Now, if, if you read the comics, you know that there's a character named Jesus who also happens to be gay. And a fan mentioned that the character is a parallel to Daryl. Now, Robert Kirkman said, and I quote, all I can say is that it's been discussed. We have very specific ideas about Daryl's sexuality or seeming lack thereof. And it's the, and if there's ever a quiet period in the show where he's not consistently distracted by crossbowing, we will tackle it. But when AMC asked if, if they would allow it, he replied, for the record, they absolutely would. Now, I want to pose it to you guys in the chat. And those of you that are listening, feel free to call in if you want to discuss 347-324-3541. But I'm curious, if Daryl Dixon's character turned out to be gay on The Walking Dead, how would you feel about it? Me personally, I think it would be an interesting twist and it really wouldn't take away from the story because Daryl Dixon's character is a badass, gay, straight, purple, green, whatever the case may be. It's a great character, very well written, and um, I think it would be interesting. Now, Obviously, a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, a couple message boards where where this was posted and on Reddit and on Twitter, they were very, very, very adamant about it. They were like, you know, uh, Daryl's such a badass and Norman Reedus is a badass and you guys are gonna, just going to turn around and make him gay. So a couple things to me, he's not even from the books. He's a character created for the show. So if they choose to make him gay, it doesn't matter. Not only that, but. Why would anybody be shocked if it's somebody who's gay and is still a badass and a tough guy? I don't understand that. Again, me personally. That's just because people automatically assume that if somebody's gay, it would be, you know, a sign of weakness or or femininity, but that's not always the case. And and if you're and if you're utilizing that type of closed-minded thinking, you're an idiot. I personally feel 
that if you're going to make his character gay or not, whatever the case may be, it's not going to take away from the fact that zombies want to eat your fucking face. That's it. Zombies don't discriminate. Gay, straight, purple, green, yellow, doesn't matter. Your lunch and that's it. You got to shoot him with a crossbow and whether the hand is the hand that wields the crossbow has nail polish on it or not should not detract from the fact that the character is probably one of the more interesting parts of the show. You know, and it's funny. Jay says Carl is the gay one. I'm sure I'm sure of it. You know what's funny about that? Whether whether they want to do that or not, you have to take into consideration that The Walking Dead is is it's such a multi-layered story and not all of it is built based on the books. Now, obviously, readers of the book and purists have been very vocal about it and have been saying not so pleasant things, while others have been um, accepting just because they know that it doesn't change the dynamic of the show at all. Unless you plan on giving him a male love interest. And even still, you can if the story doesn't work, you can kill him off in a season. That's, that's just how it is. I just don't understand how people can be so crazy about something that really doesn't detract from the overall story. This goes back to Idris Elba playing Heimdall, you know, things like that where people just complain about shit. Now, Human Torch being African-American, that's a different debate. And, um, you know, but that's a separate story. Uh, that's that's something that we'll get into when once we get some more news about the Fantastic Four film, because for now, there's so much speculation that I wouldn't be shocked if the movie doesn't even get made. But that's another story. Anyway, let's talk box office numbers. It should not come as a surprise to anyone, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles held on to the number one spot with an iron grip, bringing in twenty eight point four million dollars and pushing it over the hundred million dollar mark with one hundred and seventeen point six million dollars. Guardians of the Galaxy took number two. Let's Be Cops took number three. Has anybody seen that movie? I'm curious to see how it is. Uh, The Expendables took number four. The Giver was number five. Into the Storm was six. The Hundred Foot Journey was seven. Lucy was eight. Step Up All In was number nine. And Boyhood was number ten. So I know I owe you guys an Expendables 3 review, but I just want to say that there are way too many people out there that are overly critical on a film that we know is not going to be great. <laughs> that's that's all I'm going to say. Like, The Expendables 3 is exactly what you would expect it to be. If you thought it would suck, it might have sucked for the reasons you would hope it would suck, but in a guilty pleasure sort of way. And for those of us that thought that the film was awesome, we're going to like it for, obviously, the nostalgia alone. As for the new Expendables, Ronda Rousey and the rest of them, eh... You could take it or leave it. You could take it or leave it with those characters, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna dig into that when I when I publish the review this week. Uh, Jay says the Expendables is an, is an expensive Sharknado. Interesting way of looking at it. You know what it is? The Expendables is all about nostalgia, and there are so many action stars that haven't done the films yet that I felt that Expendables three was done to appease a new demographic because they felt that they couldn't do more with the with the original cast. I mean, like I said, Jeff Speakman, Steven Seagal, uh reusing Van Damme, Bruce Willis, um Brian Bosworth, Roddy Piper, uh Louis Gossett Jr., um Danny Glover, Mel Gibson who's been used. You know what I mean? There's so many other guys that you could still put in that movie. And even if you wanted to expand into the into the females, like I said, you know, Mimi Lesios Cynthia Rothrock, Sigourney Weaver, Mila Jovovich, 
You can you can go down a list of characters. Carl Weathers. Thank you, Jay. How can I forget Carl Weathers? That's what I'm saying. So you go down this list of characters, but the problem is that they decided, you know, we gotta we gotta create some new stars just in case we can move this on with new with new actors for less money. And I think that that was part of the part of the reason that a lot of people were turned off by the film. And even though people said that the PG-13 rating didn't affect it, I think it did because there's certain jokes and certain things they couldn't get away with. Uh, Billy Blanks. Wow. Thank you, Jay. Jay's on fire. Billy Blanks is another one. Um, Donnie Yen is another one. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat is another one. Michelle Yeoh is another one. That's what I mean. Like you can go. There's a laundry list of characters you can still use that would allow the film to keep that that beautiful nostalgic feeling that it had in the first two films that and and still keep them fun and and lighthearted but also heavy on the action i kind of felt that there was a lot of of things lacking in the third one and i don't want to give too much away without getting the review on the site so be on the lookout for that if you guys remember when sony did their keynote announcement at e3 they announced that they would be doing a show called powers based on the book and, um, you know, the Brian Michael Bendis image book powers is being brought to the PlayStation Network. And Charlotte Copley from District 9 and Michelle Forbes from The Killing have joined the cast. Um, Co- uh, Copley's character will be, will be playing Walker, who originally was going to be played by Jason Patrick in the FX pilot. And um, Forbes will play Retro Girl, um, the undisputed superstar of the powers community and an icon of justice. Uh, David Slade, who many of you may know for his work on Breaking Bad and Hannibal, will be directing the first two episodes for Sony Pictures TV series. So, uh, for the Sony Pictures TV series. Of course, these guys join Eddie Izzard, Noah Taylor, uh, Susan Hayward, Max Fowler, and Adam Godley. Again, the series will be debuting on PlayStation on the PlayStation Network this December. So, if you're a fan of the Power series, be on the lookout for that when it debuts this winter. Ah, Jay dropped another name, Michael Dudikoff. How can I forget? I watched American Ninja like a week ago. Definitely. You know who was in that? Who was the other guy? When they did American Ninja 3, the guy with the long hair, was that David Bradley? David Bradley's a good one. Definitely, I would use him. Uh, Benny the Jet Urquides, I would use him. Danny Trejo. The list goes on. Anyway, so Powers isn't the uh, show Kasugi. Good one, too. Um... Powers isn't the only series that really got my attention this week on the small screen side of things. I was shocked to read that Keanu Reeves is making the jump to the small screen with a very, very interesting series, which sounds incredibly promising, but I don't know if Keanu Reeves can carry a TV show by himself. But it looks promising. He's going to play a um, you know Japanese uh, mixed-breed assassin, you know, half-Japanese assassin, and um, pretty much... It, it's, it's going to be called Rain, and it's based on a book series by Barry Eisler. Um, the series, like I said, is going to be about a half-Japanese assassin whose job makes it difficult for him to form relationships. I think the awkwardness of a guy like Keanu Reeves can make the series work, but I'm also concerned about what network they put the series on because that's really going to dictate how much you can and can't get away with. Obviously, if you're going... <clears throat> excuse me. Obviously, if you're going FX or um, AMC, you can get away with a little bit, but you can probably get away with a little bit more if you go, you know, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax. But it's crazy, like I said, that Keanu Reeves is going to get a TV series. 
of all the guys that I never thought would make the leap to the small screen, he was definitely not even on the radar. Like, I'd be shocked if a guy like Bruce Willis started doing TV, but Keanu Reeves, he's he's such a weird guy. You know, he does these these crazy films. I never in a million years would have expected him to make the jump to TV. Now, again, I'm curious to see what network they decide to go on. Now, the other series that I, I just can't even believe that they're doing is also based on something Keanu Reeves did, and that is The Devil's Advocate. If you guys remember, Keanu Reeves uh, was starred alongside Al Pacino, and the movie was about a defense attorney who is recruited to a law firm, and the head of the law firm turns out to be the devil. Now, if you guys remember, uh, the film was a huge success, and it scored a $153 million score, and it had a $57 million budget. But here's the kicker. They want to bring it to the small screen on NBC. Now, obviously, NBC has done a great job with the Hannibal TV series, which I think is fucking amazing. And if you haven't watched it yet, you should, because it is incredibly graphic for a network show. But um, The Devil's Advocate on the small screen, I'm curious about, because, you know, you could do it like your typical legal procedural, but obviously with supernatural elements. Now, the fact that they're going on, uh, they're pulling the trigger on this on NBC is interesting, but uh, from what I'm from what I've heard, they're going to try and do a pilot first, see how it turns out. And if the pilot doesn't air, it is what it is. But if it's successful, they're gonna they're gonna at least try and go forward with a limited run. So we'll be monitoring this story very carefully. But it does look like the Devil's Advocate is definitely coming to the small screen, even if it even if it's just for a pilot. We're going to talk about some Resident Evil news, and and I actually forgot that they were going to work on a final Resident Evil film, and the only reason I found out about it was because Mila Jovovich announced that the film would be delayed because she is pregnant. So there you have it. If you've been looking forward to another Resident Evil film, you're going to have to wait a little longer because Mila Jovovich is pregnant with her second child. Of course, her husband is director Paul Anderson. So there you have it. Resident Evil, the final chapter postponed until next year as Mila Jovovich goes on to become a parent for the second time. All right. So (laughs) Jay says, can I get a fifth element too? You know what the thing is? I think if you tried to replicate the fifth element, even if you went around, you did a second go around and you used the same actors, I just don't think it would embody, it would capture the same magic that the first film had. You know, it's like one of those things, it's lightning in a bottle. The fifth element is so unique and so interesting that you just, you can't repeat that. That's why when people are talking about a sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy, I get concerned because, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, same thing, lightning in a bottle. Can they capture that magic a second time? It's going to it's gonna be interesting to see. But the fifth element, nope, one and done in my opinion. Anyway, so we haven't really talked about superhero films in this week's entertainment segment, but it looks like Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock for wrestling fans, has confirmed that he will be involved in the upcoming big screen adaptation of Shazam. Now, those of you that know, Shazam has a villain who everyone knows, which is Black Adam. And I've said time and time again that if The Rock should play anyone, it should be Black Adam and not Shazam. Now, the funny thing is that he's been asked which role he is going to play, and he didn't commit to either playing Shazam or playing Black Adam. From what they, from what's been said, they're actually allowing him to choose which character he's going to pick. Now, me personally, I feel that The Rock... Even though he's a really, really good, he's a good, good guy, 
I feel that when he plays the anti-hero like Luke Hobbs in Fast and Furious, um, that he plays just a better character. So with that said, I really would like to see The Rock play Black Adam, and then I'd like to see him, I'd like to see, I'm curious as to who I would cast as Captain Marvel, because obviously the Captain Marvel mythology is interesting because his alter ego is a young guy, Billy Batson, and then he becomes, you know, the big red cheese, the, the big the big superhero, and I'm curious as to who we can cast that can play both those roles effectively. So... I got to ask, and I know we got a lot of comic fans in here, who would you choose to play Shazam opposite Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam? Who would you pick? Because, again, Shazam's character is is very important because that character has to embody not only, you know, the principles of the Shazam mythology, but he also has to bring, you know, a little bit of that young angst to the big screen because, obviously, his alter ego is a young guy. So I'm curious if you guys um, have any ideas who you'd like to see opposite The Rock as Shazam. Definitely share them in the chat. And I think I may even throw that on the Rageworks fan page as a question to see if we can get some engagement. But <laughs> Jay, Jay says Roman Reigns. <laughs> Good. Paul, you know what the problem is, Isaiah? Paul Rudd is playing Ant-Man. So that can't even happen. It will be a conflict of interest. I think he signed up for a five-picture deal with Marvel, so you could scrub him off that list. Ah, uh, Isaiah says he's kidding. But still, the character of Shazam is such a, a crazy character to cast that I don't even know. I really, I really don't even know who I could pick from Hollywood right now that would A, be able to get into the sick shape to be Shazam, and B, Find an actor young enough that can transform into Shazam and have some sort of a resemblance to to the alter ego. That's something that I think we're going to have to dig into a little deeper in the coming weeks. So we've talked about two versions of the live action Jungle Book. And um, the version that Andy Serkis is putting out is really putting an awesome cast together. Uh, They announced that Benedict Cumberbatch will be doing the voice of Shere Khan. For, for this film, of course, Andy Serkis has worked with Benedict Cumberbatch in the Hobbit film series. And of course, this is Serkis's direct. I believe it's his debut as a director. And um, I'm curious to see how this works because Benedict Cumberbatch has such an awesome voice. And to voice Shere Khan in the Jungle Book is definitely going to be cool to see, especially when it's been said that he's going to be um, when uh, it's been said. I think uh, Christian Bale is going to be in the other version if i'm correct uh let me see according to my notes uh no christian bale is going to be in that version but he is not voicing Shere khan Shere khan is going to be voiced uh christian bale is voicing bagheera uh bale is bale is equal is going to voice bagheera and benedict cumberbatch is going to voice Shere khan so uh there you go uh Shere khan is cumberbatch and christian bale is bagheera so make a note of that. Um, of course, this is the second Jungle Book film as John Favreau will be doing a live action version of the film as well. A uh, couple of things to wrap things up uh, in some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news. they uh, If you saw the keynote from Comic-Con, you know that um, they teased the character of Mockingbird, who a lot of you may know from the Thunderbolts. But she will also now be appearing on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Turns out that the individual that's being cast for Mockingbird actually is a pretty solid fit. 
and that is going to be Adrian Palicki, who a lot of you may know from her work in G.I. Joe Retaliation, but also for the failed Wonder Woman TV series that never saw the light of day. But in any event, she will be joining the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast as Mockingbird. I think it's pretty solid casting. Um, Adrian Palicki is a good actress, and... Um, I think the Mockingbird character is a good fit for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she's not totally bad, but she's not totally good, kind of a little vague depending on how she's written. So definitely a solid casting choice, and hopefully Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can continue the momentum that they had after Captain America and the Winter Soldier and actually start delivering some good stories. We shall see what happens. So... The next bit of movie news definitely falls into into the what the fuck movie news category, but it also falls into the remake category. And um, I'm going to mention a, ti- a franchise that if you're an 80s baby like I am, you're going to know all too well. That franchise, ladies and gentlemen, is Remo Williams. Now, if you remember, Remo Williams had a movie that came out. I believe it was 86, 87, I think. Uh, if any of you guys can pull up the IMDb for that. So, Remo Williams' The Legend Begins was uh, a cult classic that I still watch on occasion when it's on TV. So, it looks like they're going to bring that back to the big screen. And initially, I said this is just a recipe for a disaster. But they just announced that Iron Man 3 director Shane Black will be working on bringing Remo Williams to the big screen. I kid you not. So there you have it. Shane Black is going to be involved, and they're going to work together to bring Remo Williams to the big screen. How crazy is that? The first thing Jay writes is Remo Williams, really? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to happen. Remo Williams is coming back to the big screen. Now, the funny thing is, If you guys watched Iron Man 3, you know that the way Shane Black writes films, he has a a good amount of humor in there, along with some very solid storytelling. I feel that when they announced him being involved with the project, I said, you know what? It may not be that bad, because when you look at a character like Remo Williams, if you watch the original, you know that the entire movie wasn't completely serious. There was a fair amount of tongue-in-cheek humor, um, a lot of funny sight gags, but still a pretty decent action flick. So there you have it. Shane Black is going to be involved in bringing uh, Remo Williams to the big screen, which is crazy. Of all the films that I've watched growing up, I would, again, I'd never in a million years expect to see Remo Williams heading to the big screen once again. So there you have it. I'm curious to see who they're going to cast and what kind of approach they're going to use. Are they going to use a mixture of, of comedy and sight gags? Or are they going to use more veiled comedy and deeper story? That remains to be seen, ladies and gentlemen. But yes, Remo Williams is returning to the big screen. All right. That wraps up this week's entertainment news and actually wraps up this week's episode. So a couple of things to take us out. Just a quick reminder that the My Take Radio Twitter will be changing to Rageworks this weekend. For those of you that follow my personal Twitter account, that will be the My Take Radio account going forward. A couple of other reminders. Just a reminder, if you're expecting reviews and other content on MyTakeRadio.com, that is not going to be the case going forward. MyTakeRadio.com will only be all our shows and audio content and video as well and all that stuff. But um, 
definitely not, you know, any of the movie reviews, any of that stuff, all the comic stuff, all of that will be on RageWorks.net. Again, RageWorks.net will be the brand new site going forward. For anything My Take Radio related, you can still go to MyTakeRadio.com. You can also listen and watch the show by heading over to the Listen tab on RageWorks.net as well. With regards to social media... All the other My Take Radio social media accounts will remain active, including My Take Radio TV on YouTube, our Tumblr page, um, our Google Plus, and um, the, the new Twitter account and our Facebook fan page. But if you want to keep up to date with everything else we're working on, definitely look for RageWorks on Facebook. Keep an eye out for it on Twitter. Of course, you can add us on Google Plus because that is set up, and we will be launching RageWorks on YouTube this weekend as well with this episode of my take radio being added to get the ball rolling. All right. So that's going to wrap things up next week. My take radio episode 241. Of course, uh, we will be airing live Thursday at 11 PM Eastern 8 PM Pacific, uh, with regards to changes in the broadcasting schedule, a reminder that September 17th and 18th, we will be switching to the two show a week format, which we will try and maintain for as long as we can. Um, Wednesday nights will be wrestling and MMA starting at 11 p.m. Thursdays will be gaming and entertainment starting at 11 p.m. And again, that will be happening September 17th. And make a note of that. And of course, I will continue to remind you guys as we get closer to the debut. All right. So that's it. On behalf of myself, Slick, Jay, Quark, Blade, Andrea, Josh, the rightist, Ben, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next week. I was undecided about the outro music this week because I didn't get a chance to visit our friends at OC Remix, but I believe we got some stuff that we can go out with. Uh, You know what? I feel that this hasn't been played in a while and it's a favorite of mine. I think we're going to go out with Super Mario Brothers 3, the Pipes Remix by 7th Epic, and of course you can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Catch you guys next week.